Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have X-Men First Class, starring James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Rose Byrne, January Jones, Kevin Bacon, and Jennifer Lawrence. Story by Sheldon Turner and Brian Singer. What? Yeah. <laughs> Screenplay by Ashley Edward Miller, Zach Stentz, Jane Goldman, and Matthew Vaughn, and directed by Matthew Vaughn. I can explain a little bit about what's going on in all those screenwriter credits. This is essentially a Matthew Vaughn uh, vehicle here, yeah. but... We'll talk a little bit about him, too. But, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Rice Smile Films. Uh, we're at a spooky month. It's time to continue with the new cask of sorts. And uh, we're going to build up to uh, a new release coming out here. Um, but we thought it might be fun to spend time in the world of prequels because we've spoken so positively about mm. them in, in episodes past. If you're looking for <laughs> affirmational speech about the validity of prequels, you have come to the right podcast here. It's yeah. a common theme on this show now. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we, we picked the good ones, though, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, from 2011, we're talking about X-Men First Class, and this is a shocker. This is the first X-Film, Marvel, uh, X-whatever, 20th Century Fox film of the X-Men franchise we've ever covered. So Shocking. Very shocking, yeah, because I think for the most part, I think we're pretty positive uh, on most of the entries in that in- entire series. I'm, I'll be flat out honest with you, I'm an X-Men The Last Stand apologist. I, I really like that one, and I know it gets a lot of flack. Um, I like a lot of the Wolverine stuff. I like X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, but there's a few I don't like, and I'll mention those throughout the episode. But where do you kind of come in on the... Maybe here's the question I'll ask you to, to get going here. Okay. What was it like in 2000 when X-Men reached the big screen for the first time? It was something that was probably talked about on the playground for years growing up. Uh, I remember where I was, and I had to get there to see it. But what was that like for you, you know, avid comic book reader yourself? Shocking. The casting left a little bit to be desired in mm-hmm. those early days. Mm-hmm. No one knew who Hugh Jackman was and didn't realize what he was going to become. Yeah. And what was as important as the casting was the selection of the X team that they wanted to use. Mm-hmm. And I think they did in that first one a pretty good job of choosing characters that seem to start the franchise. Mm. Um, I will say, I don't believe it's aged well, but I can tell you then I was stunned to see it because there's a difference between the X-Man reader and the Spider-Man reader. Yeah. And X-Men beat Spider-Man to the silver screen. Mm-hmm. It beat it. It was, it was there first. And I think it was, I, you know, doing some research that uh, X-Men relaunch in 92, uh, the the Jim Lee, uh, mm-hmm. I think that still has the record for the it's the the most sold comic of all time X Men number one yeah uh, so there's a lot and then the the animated series in the early nineties like they're very popular in that decade yeah so I was very excited to see it and like I said it, it was shocking to me that that's the route that we were going to go that that would beat something that was a larger palatable entry everyone knows Spider Man the X Men. I don't want to say it's obscure. That's not really fair. And the cartoon would prove otherwise because that's maybe Marvel's most popular cartoon ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I met it with tons of anticipation and that first film absolutely delivered. Yeah. I think well, much like you, I was like, I thought they per- picked a pretty good lineup. It was yeah. like all like the heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. You got Magneto in there, Sabretooth Toad. Like you yeah. had like all like the uh, the Good Brotherhood, Mystique. 
So I thought they did pretty good. I, I feel like they were maybe limited by, you know, what technology could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm with you. It, some of it's probably has an age, you know, technology wise pretty well, but I still think that's a very entertaining movie. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the X franchise here. Uh, this is gonna be a fun episode. Matt, this was a hell of a rewatch for, for me. I can't wait to talk about some of this stuff in this, in this uh, film and also about the current MCU as well. Yeah. Because they never come up, right? No. Uh, some more of the tin cup straight rye whiskey. Uh, mm. We open this up for Halloween five. Mm. Are you still getting kind of like a mellower rye compared uh-huh. to some of the other ones we've had? That's very, very nice. I think it was the one that Mark brought when we did talk about my memory banks uh when we did return of the jedi oh man and he brought like a wilderness trail mm-hmm. 120 proof rye holy crap i mean we were tanked by the end of that episode <laughs> yeah that that thing will make you grow hair everywhere yeah. it'll look like the beast man yeah uh i want to start off with one more thing and if you have anything to, to add to this please jump right in but uh Something that we I started <laughs> uh, a couple weeks back was Rye Restoration. Just, you know, shouting out some stuff I've seen in the last couple of weeks that I think warrant some reappraisal or mm-hmm. definitely go check them out. Uh, Blood Simple? Yeah. Hadn't seen it in maybe 10 years. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've covered the Coens before. Uh, see a past episode, Miller's Crossing? A complete disaster for me and you. Yes. But Blood Simple is almost like an Italian giallo film. Mm. It, it's lighting. It's, you know, Boogeyman, M.M. M. at Walsh, freaking John Getz in there. The cinematography is fantastic. The story is so simple. Yeah. Uh, amazing. I know that's a, a favorite of yours. I know you own the poster for that. Yeah. We got to cover that film one of these days. Boy, don't we. I know we got we to gotta redo uh, some Cohen stuff because that's a big name and, you know, we picked... A very obscure one to start with, right? Yeah. In our mob cask. Uh, and then another one. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I, this was a first time watch for me from, I think, 46, John Ford's My Darling Clementine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry Fonda. Yeah. I, I, that had to have been maybe his first film after coming back from the war. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look at the filmography. But it's essentially Tombstone. It's yep. uh, Gunfight at the OK Corral, Doc Hollywood, Wyatt Earp. Yep. Never seen it. Fantastic. Great movie. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh I think I still prefer my Kurt Russell, Wyatt Earp, but the cinematography, black and white in that, I'm like, everyone looked like a veil of a shadow of some bygone era in that thing. It was a beautifully put together movie, 92 minutes long. Yeah. I mean, efficient. I can't believe that one had skipped me by. I've seen Ford Apache. I've seen a lot of the, the Ford Uber around that time, but never that one. It's on Criterion Channel right now. That is worth a watch. I, it'd be worth covering. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of loaded stuff in there. Uh, you know, the female counterparts, uh, the self-titular uh, Clementine. Yeah. And then Doc Hollywood's ch- Chihuahua, which is kind of this like Mexican sex worker that he's yeah. hooked up with. But I thought it was amazing. Uh, so, yeah, maybe check that one out. What about you? Anything in the last couple of weeks? Class this week was a rewatch of um, a staple, and I was really happy to see how much my students loved it. We did Vertigo. Nice. And uh, I didn't know how it would play. They don't have a lot of experience with film noir, and it's everybody from hey, seniors few, to sixth graders. Few people do, Matt. Right. <laughs> and we had a great discussion about it, and they found it odd. You probably should yeah. find that and story sh- odd. But refreshingly odd and they all really liked it. Mm-hmm. And again, every time I watch that film and if that's from 
fade into fade out or wherever I pick it up in the middle. Mm-hmm. I just, every time I watch that film, I pick up on something new that I hadn't seen before. That is such a cinematic masterpiece. So complex. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that's in my top five of all time. And I believe there's also a legitimate reason why from time to time it shows up on different lists as the greatest film that's ever been made. Yeah, one to five in the top five. And it's I my, th- my favorite Hitchcock film. Yeah, my two. Uh, and we covered it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go back and listen to that episode. Yeah. That's good. I'm, I'm glad it's still playing well for, yeah. you know, kind of a more modern audience because it's a little sleepy, right? It's a little slow. It's a lot of driving and following people, but there's a lot of subtext on like the watching and the voyeurism and in, in vertigo. Yeah. And yeah, we're going up the tower, Madeline. <laughs> you were very apt pupil. Oh my God. My favorite line. Yeah. <laughs> and the looks and the manner. Gosh. Uh, I mean, I, I might have to watch that later tonight. I know, now. right? Yeah. You just hear it and you're like, oh, watching... We, we love Stuart. Mm-hmm. You love him more than me, but I also love him. Mm-hmm. And to what he never played that role, Jesse. Yeah. He never got to be that unhinged guy. And man, he is good at it. He's good and he's complex, much like, you know, his character in Liberty Valance as well. Just yeah. this very, it's not just a regular guy. He comes with a lot of baggage. And then what he goes through through the course of the film acquires more baggage <laughs> and ends the film with a ton of baggage, right? Yeah. Both of those characters. So I have a question for you about mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. I may have asked you this before, but we can do it now. We're not even in the movie yet. And we're off on a Jimmy Stewart tra- tangent well, we're, here. We're good. We're good. Um, look, he's appreciated and everybody knows the place that he holds in Hollywood history mm-hmm. and, all of all timers on that Mount Rushmore hall of fame status. If it wasn't for the selection of so many movies, Mm -hmm. the Matt Damon approach to filmmaking, I'll make everything. Mm -hmm. And had he been a bit more selective instead of so oversaturated, do you think he warrants not through talent, but through, the general recollection of his career, a place in one of those top four or five guys. Absolutely. Is it that he did so many that he doesn't come up? I don't think so. And if, if that was his strategy, amen to him because sure, he's like, for, work. For, ev- work. for every 10 movies I do, one of them's going to be a masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I, what I find about that is he was a very, you know, varied type of actor. He could do screwball comedy really well. Mm-hmm. See Philadelphia Story, which we need to do that movie also. I can't wait. Uh, he could do something like Psycho or, or uh, Vertigo or Rear Window, you yeah. know, suspense thriller. He could do war, a war film. He could do westerns. I mean, he could, uh, uh, it's a wonderful life, you know, family drama. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I mean, he's someone who could you know, really tap into multiple genres and I think do Efficiently well in all sentimental. of them. Yeah. Sentimental genre. Yeah. Well, I mean. Oh, have, him? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's this like, it's what I equate like, you know, the Tom Hanks effect of his filmography was very varied as well. Yeah. This nice guy. Yeah. Good actor. But Hanks could do Toy Story, Bachelor Party, Philadelphia. You know what I mean? Is uh, Cast away. Yeah. Cast all. That's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh so no, I yeah, I, I think he definitely deserves to be up there. Because uh, you know, you, Lawrence Olivier, you know, you hear these different. It's names. too regal for me. Me too. Yeah, and I don't think the American public is as exposed to. You know, I think you know, much like The Wizard of Oz, It's a Wonderful Life is almost kind of like a rite of passage at some point. Mm-hmm. So everyone gets exposed to that guy and his likability at some point in their lives. So. Yeah. You can't say the same about Sir Lawrence Olivier as much as I like him in certain roles as well. Uh, 
and even Cary Grant too. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he gets that exposure to uh, you know current audiences the way that you know Stewart still does. Right. Um, good question. I could spend all day talking about the Mount Rushmore of actors. We should do that on a on a question one of these days, right? I don't think we've ever done that one. We've done directors for sure. Um, but might, hey, that might be a cast too. Yeah, the Just Mount Rushmore. Do, pick well, one one of each. Mm-hmm. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. Well, <coughs> hey, we got a ton to talk about today. As <laughs> I love it, uh, but hey, let's get right into our flight question. Alrighty, so first time talking about X-Men, this seemed like an obvious question. So you could take movies, comics, TV show, toys, merchandise into account. Uh, your top three personal favorite X-Men characters can be heroes, villains, the government. Yeah. <laughs> William Stryker. Moira McTaggart. Or uh, who's the uh, uh, Senator Kelly? Guy Rich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah Guy Rich. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, three for me. Emma okay. Frost. I love Emma Frost. I love the depiction of her with the Hellfire Club early on in the series as, well, there's a femme fatale role to her, let's be frank about it. Mm -hmm. And then a little bit later in the early aughts, her transformation to the leader of the team, and then the downright theft Mm -hmm. of Cyclops as her lover from Jean Grey. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So good. Mm -hmm. I I love Emma Frost. And she's super hot. You like her without giving too much away because we'll talk about it. Yeah. You do you like her portrayal in this film? Um, <clears throat> January Jones is a little bit wooden, but yes, I still like it. Okay. Yeah. It's funny that that character never popped back up in what they did going forward. So no, no, yeah. that maybe seems like a bit of a miss. Yeah. Uh, good choice. Thank you. My number three, a uh, bit of a, I guess, controversial because, you know, I think he gets a, a lot of flack, but I'll, I'll back it up here. I'm going to go Scott Summer Cyclops for my number three. You know, the tactician, he, the mastermind. Yeah, the but he, he gets pegged as the whiny boy, just yeah, Mr. Goody Two-Shoe. And I get it, but, you know, being the leader of that formidable early 90s lineup, and it's specifically the costume he wore, that blue with the yellow bandolier with his visor, there was something just so cool about that. You know, I think the X-Men are the most fantastical corner of the Marvel Universe mm-hmm. in terms of their colorfulness, their costumes, their abilities, and... Man, does he get really thrown through the ring when it comes to the love triangles, right? You just mentioned the Emma Frost one, but there's the stuff with Logan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dark Phoenix stuff. It, he really goes through a ton uh, just psychologically, and his main linchpin is he's got to be the leader of this team, right? Yeah. Uh, but he's also got to be the first in line to put up with Xavier's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. He is Jason Terry to Jason Kidd. There you go. That's a good comparison. Yeah, From Jason those Kidd, old 2011 Mavericks, right? Yeah, if Kidd is is Professor X, mm-hmm. Jason Terry's the one that did all the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mid-range jumper that nobody ever appreciated. Yeah. yeah I'm with you. The sixth man. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. 
Good choice, man. But just the, controversial though. Oh yeah, very. Yeah, yeah. You'd be like, dude, Cyclops sucks. And you know what? It Does just, he though? I, I kind of don't think so. I mean, power, I mean, his power. I wouldn't want his power. That this is, and we'll talk about the X Men and their power sets in yeah. this film. Good. Optic blasts doesn't sound great at all. Yeah. I got to wear a special protective thing to not annihilate everyone in front of me. Yeah. I like the casting of James Marsden as Cyclops. Mm-hmm. I just feel like those X-Men film, they, they didn't really, maybe Singer didn't know what to do with the character because he's always in the, like, the back seat and in that X2, he's just out of the movie for like 50 minutes of it, right? Yeah. Uh, my little fan casting, uh, and the, the Ty Sheridan redo in the sequel I thought was pretty good. I think I've told you before, man, get Glenn Palace, Scott Summers. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'd love to see that. Perfect cast. Number two. Nightcrawler. Also controversial because a lot of people think he's silly. Um, And kind of in a strangely underappreciated way for me, wildly overpowered, Mm -hmm. which is going to pale in comparison to who my number number one is because that's ridiculously underpowered. Yeah. But if you can transport yourself from place to place and you look like you look and you are troubled with these very, very non-secular beliefs... Kurt um, Wagner. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot to work with there. Um, you know, he's pretty good in a fight, kind of in a Spider-Man way against someone that's sort of street-level baddie against Apocalypse or even Magneto. He probably doesn't have a chance. But that ability to teleport the way that he does and mm-hmm. move gives you such a flash-like advantage. Yeah when it comes to actual fighting. And I just think he looks cool. And I, I'm not even one that likes elves and shit like that. I don't, I'm not into that. Yeah. And he's kind of elfish. Yeah. Not uh, Willem Dafoe impish. Yeah, but, no. Uh, <laughs> Willem Dafoe is the nightcrawler. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. But in comics, in cartoons, in my early aught period of Uncanny X-Men, I didn't, I, I loved him. I think he's got a pretty good following. Who I, his I, mother is. Yeah. I've never heard a lot of Nightcrawler slander. In fact, mm-hmm. I've heard people say he's my favorite X-Men. So oh, really? He okay. might be in a good place there. Uh, a couple questions. He has maybe one of the best scenes of any of these movies in that second one when he White House. teleports into the president's office. Yeah. Pretty great opening scene in that in X2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's the relationship? Is there any relationship to Azazel from this film and Nightcrawler? Because they're the same person. You have to believe that that's the offspring of of um, Mystique and Azazel. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. My number two. Yeah. Uh, this man right here. I'm pointing at my phone case. Yeah. It felt apt to change my case for this episode, but it's Logan Wolverine. Sure. Uh, the face of the X-Men, right? Mm-hmm. You know, from his interesting uh, introduction, which is an incredible whole comic, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> With the whiskers. Uh, I think I have that as a Christmas tree ornament, by the way. That's awesome. Uh, but him being acclimated into the team, all his solo independent runs. I'm a huge fan of orange and brown suit Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that whole run in the 90s. And then, of course, the legendary casting of Hugh Jackman as his character. Uh, what's not to like about Wolverine? And you want to talk about, you know, kind of a shitty uh, hand dealt to him. I think he has maybe the best power, which is regenerative strength. But then, like, through some government conspiracy, gets strapped with this adamantium skeleton and essentially becomes a monster, right? Yeah. Weapon X. 
Uh, I just think there's so much stuff they can do with him. He looks cool. Everyone knows the skinked. Uh, what can you not say about Wolverine? I mean, it's obviously he's popular, but, you know, growing up with that, how could he not make my top three? So much conflict in choice three and choice two for you because they're not good buddies. No, 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 yeah. Both after the same woman. Out of my way. <laughs> out of my way, gumbo. <laughs> or no, that, that's what he would always tell Gambit. Mm-hmm. Hey, honorable mention. If you have a few honorable mentions, I have a couple, so. Okay. Number one. Not honorable mention at all. The number one. It's Gambit. That's who I love. That's my guy. A ridiculous skill set. Mm-hmm. A bow staff and the ability to charge. Yeah, kinetic objects. That's lame. But, man, the the Southern thing mm-hmm. and the Thieves Guild and all of that, the swashbuckling, even though that's not something that I normally lean into. Mm-hmm. I love Gambit. I think he looks so cool. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that headpiece with the red eyes yeah. and the red hair. If I'm picking somebody from the X-Men to go into a fight with, he'd probably be pretty low on the on the totem pole. Because even with the bow staff, he's not that great in a fight. Yeah. But, man, is he cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's drawn really well. His outfit looks awesome. He's got a great backstory. When they launched him at his own comet, Gambit, um, it's about a 25-issue run, they really started to dig into the meat on the Thieves' Guild and what that was all about. <sighs> he was so cool. He still is cool. Uh, Gambit's number one for me. It's it is Gambit. Great choice. Uh, he was always a favorite of mine growing up. I was I was surprised he didn't make that initial lineup in the film yeah. because it it so closely mirrors the animated series so mm-hmm. well. Um, you still want to see Channing Tatum bring that to the screen? Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe the, the, I hear a lot of rumblings about who's who and who isn't showing up in Deadpool three. Maybe. So we'll see. Hmm. I'll let you give me your one because I have a thought about that. Or let's do that for a minute. Okay. Do you? Okay, so Deadpool is his own entity to himself. Mm -hmm. Do you like when they bring the other X-Men characters into Deadpool? Because I thought they wasted Colossus, to be honest with you. A little bit, yeah. Uh, I, I like that movie. I just, it's a, it, it makes Colossus look, look lame. Silly, right? And he is, but... Oh, do I like that? Um, well, it's the Deadpool show when you're watching those movies, right. right? I mean, he his personality is so big that he'll override. So I think the test is this next film. He's paired up with Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. Like, what's that going to look like mm-hmm. together? Mm-hmm. This buddy comedy, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I think the verdict's still out on that one, but I'm with you. I mean, Deadpool can definitely overshadow Domino and C- Cable, of all people. Cable was awesome in, in as uh, Josh Brolin, right? That's... The spectrum that they should stick to. Like, you, you can't have Bishop. You can have Domino. You can have Cable. You can have um, Maggot. Like, all of, like, that space of the X-Men works for me in Deadpool. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm just, because we've, we've seen Gambit before mm-hmm. as sort of a side character. Yeah. With Wolverine. Yeah. Oh, was that Taylor Kitsch? Uh-huh. And I thought he was fine. Yeah. But, I don't know. Interesting. <clears throat> number one, I'm dying. My number one, my favorite character in the entire Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Magneto, Eric Glencher. Sure. And a lot of what we're going to talk about today is going to revolve around this particular character. But, you know, you know, think of the great villains you and I like. And when, you know, when we've written how we try and, you know, sympathize with the villains. Man, I don't know if you can sympathize with someone more than this kid who went through the Holocaust, yeah. survived, now has is hell-bent against authority and those that wronged him there. But then essentially against every government entity that is trying to displace and regulate his people right Mm -hmm. he's kind of not a villain he's an anti-hero yeah but man do him and the x-men go go through some battles 
I love Ian McKellen as this character. I super love Michael Fassbender as this character. Mm-hmm. He's just so complicated, and his skill set is one of the most powerful in the entire Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Where was Thanos snap? Magneto will stop that mid snap, break the fingers off the gauntlet, and then wield it himself. Right? Exactly. He could stop that single handedly. A lot of arguments in the Marvel Universe that he and or the Scarlet Witch, and it's funny because there's some parental familial ties, ties there, yeah. that they're the two most powerful people in the entire universe. If you can control anything metal, mm-hmm. you see it so well when he rips the iron out of your blood and uses it to kill you. Well, look at the main Avengers. He could grab Tony Stark, crumple mm-hmm. him into a little... Uh, Pretzel. Yeah, a nothing. Yep. He can grab and wield Cap's vibranium shield... And worthy be damned, he could pick up that hammer too, right? Damn right. There's the big three right there. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting them to a stop. Well, and the other thing too with Magneto is the love again, hate again, frenemy relationship with Xavier because they do genuinely care about each other. Yeah. And in their own weird ways are both in the pursuit of the same thing, which mm-hmm. is the acceptance of mutants. One is a bit more Pac- dire for <clears throat> the pacifist way. Right? Mankind. Mm-hmm. But they're both after the same thing. Yeah. And the fact that they're best buds mm-hmm. is so good. Mm-hmm. Magneto has led the X-Men so many different times. And there's a case to be made that under his tutelage, they are actually better than when they're under Xavier's. I don't know if I'd subscribe to that entirely, but can make yeah. the case in some regards. It's just one of those, it's those comp, like, I mean, with a character like <clears throat> Ultron. Mm-hmm. Who, dude, Magneto stop Ultron in a second. <laughs> Done. Yeah, it's over. It's a fairly one-dimensional to two-dimensional villain, which the goals are rule rubble, destroy Earth to rule over rubble. With Magneto, it's 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 just like you know what what you're doing is almost Thanos level of you know what this is bad, but I kind of agree with you. Maybe like yeah, these government suits should be put in their place. And he looks so cool. Yeah, red and purple don't go, but they sure do on him. I can't wait to talk cool. about the final scene of this movie because so good. Yeah. Excellent. Any honorable mentions? How many X-Men characters? 500 X-Men there yeah. possibly are? A lot. Dude, the the, the, the freaking Morlocks in the subway. I mean, you could just go on and on with them, but give me a couple honorable mentions. Storm and Beast. I think Storm is underused and so underappreciated with what she would be able to do. If you can harness the power of weather, and which is funny that I would pick her, right? Because that's, you know, I hate that, that trope and story. Yeah. Man, Man versus, versus weather. I hate yeah. it. If you can just... Call up a hurricane and drop it on somebody. <laughs> That's so powerful. <sighs> done. Yep. yep. Um, you know, they, they've got some interesting things they've done with her and Wakanda lately. Lately in the last decade. Mm-hmm. So she's one. And then the Beast, because for all of the accepting pieces of what the mutants strive to be, the the denial of his own reality and the skills that come along with it. And I don't want big footed human beasts. I want big furry blue beasts. Yeah. That's who I like. <laughs> I want blue beasts. <laughs> and I like what they've done in the last, you know, it's been five years, but I like what they've done with dark beast too. Mm-hmm. He's a very cool character. Uh, the beast is mm-hmm. infinitely complex and he, he was there from the very beginning, right? Yeah. 62. I got a lot to say about him as the film unfolds. So we'll get into that later. Excellent. Two for you. What do you got? Uh, rogue for sure. Sure. Uh, and you want to talk about another person with, complex issues i mean her how do you pa- love somebody yeah how do you touch somebody right it's yep. the david dunn effect right of i touch this person and i see all their sins oh so good yes but with rogue it's i touch you and you're dead <laughs> i suck your life force from you mm-hmm. 
you know, her and Gambit get pretty hot and heavy, but it can only go so far. How maddening. Yeah. And for Gambit too. And I think, I think he does realize that. And you know, that's, that's why I also kind of like X-Men The Last Stand because it's a bloated film for sure, but they do dabble in the cure stuff with her. Mm -hmm. And she's like, why wouldn't I take this? Because I can actually be normal, right? Yes. Touch people. Yeah. Bobby Ice Storm Drake, right? Uh, Are you okay with Anna Paquin? Yeah, you yeah, like it? Okay. yeah, I do like Anna Paquin. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good casting there. I feel like they went with Rogue instead of like we're not doing Jubilee in those movies. Thank God, right? Yeah, she's she's a bit of a just X Men punching bag, right? Her and Dazzler <laughs> could go on tour together, and no one would go see him. <laughs> funny. Uh, one more. Oh, let's see. Villains. Uh, you know, Miss, Miss Omega Red. Omega. That's you know those those are that's a pretty cool character there. Uh. I like Sabretooth a lot too. The villains are so well thought out in 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 the in the X in the X Men world. Yeah, uh, but if another hero. Let me think. I've always really liked Juggernaut too. Sure, you know Xavier's brother. Yep, that kind of brute strength. Yeah, but a lot of what I really tend to like about the X Men, dude, I love their costumes. I just they they were drawn and put together so well that they all looked wholly unique. Whether it's Iceman, I'm just a block of ice, right? Or, um, you know, the Juggernaut, or even Cable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you knocked Bishop, too, but even Bishop looks really cool. Oh, no, used right is like Space Cop. Bishop's great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny we're doing this. Uh, I started reading again. I, I stopped reading comics for a long time because there was still nowhere to put them. Mm-hmm. I started reading again. And uh, so I've got a new place I go to, and we communicate weekly, and hi, Matt, and all this kind of stuff. I got to tell you, though, the X-Men are really, really, really tough read right now. Mm. There's a series they're doing called Immortal X-Men, which I have a couple graphic novels I'll let you kind of delve into. Okay. And you can see, and it's really popular, and you can see where it is. But boy, the challenge with the X-Men is so many characters and so many years of conflict and turmoil and offspring and familial ties and who's the descendant of this. And they're tough to read. I wish they would just go back to like the Garth Ennis, simplify it. Yeah. Okay. These five guys, and I'm going to tell a story for a couple years, like three or four arcs, three or four issue arc. And, and man, it's it, a soft reboot. Yeah. It, there's, it is such an extent. Okay. So the problem with Batman, we've talked about this, right? Mm. Is if you want to just read Batman, you've got to read so many other periphery characters because he has a universe unto himself. Yeah. The X-Men is even more. Mm. And it's not just X-Men and Uncanny X-Men. It's Uncanny X-Men. It's X-Men. It's Immortal X-Men. It's Red X-Men. It's, there's just so much. Yeah, I don't know how you keep track of all of that. Yeah, and I took a decade off, and I'm like, I don't I don't know who these people are anymore. Did you like them when they, the ultimate relaunch? Did yes. You like, their, their, I thought theirs was pretty good. Theirs yes. and Spider-Man, I think, were the best yes. ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Well, this is going to be a fun episode. We get to, we're going to talk more things all X-Men here, but hey, let's get right to it. To your list? To your list. We could have spent a whole episode just talking about the best and worst, uh, mm-hmm. our favorite, personal favorite and least favorite X characters. Yeah. But let's get to our review breakdown of X-Men First Class. Let's just say I'm Frankenstein's monster.
start back like before this film even came out because let's talk about just the x franchise up to to 2011 real quick you know you had the three films in the trilogy with the original hugh jackman halle berry uh, patrick stewart uh ian mckellen lineup then they were gonna branch off and uh they started with x-men origins wolverine and that's why there were so many screenwriters here because like you know one of these started their plan was to do x-men origins magneto cyclops they were gonna do all of a bunch Mm -hmm. of them right as long as they were successful right and they just didn't do any of them. Uh, so that's why, you know, one of the screenwriters has uh, credit is because Origins, Magneto, they used some of that here, but not the whole thing. And then, you know, Singer kind of got wrapped into it a little bit. And, you know, they used, he used, uh, he put a treatment together. He's like, I can't really direct it. I'm busy doing Jack the Giant Slayer or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Vaughn had been toyed around with X-Men The Last Stand, and I guess they kind of just let him go. So he had some sour feelings with Marvel. And when they asked him to come back for this, uh, and one of the the writer strike in 08 killed one of these films as well. Um, but they essentially pitched it to him as like, it's a reboot. It's not tied to any of the other films until the next movie where they tied it into the rest of the films. Yeah. But they essentially sold them. It's going to be set in the 60s. It's a reboot. You can reform the X-Men as you will. And that was very exciting to him, right? Yeah. I get to do it my way from the beginning with a unique lineup. Set it like a James Bond film in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that sounds amazing, right? There's no extra baggage coming with that. I get to recast everybody. And Matthew Vaughn's an interesting person, I think. Uh, kick-ass, right? Yep. And the Kingsman stuff. I think he has a hand in all the Kingsman creations. Why the Last Man too? Uh, I think so. And yeah. uh, Layer Cake. Yep. Oh, Daniel Craig. So he's an interesting filmmaker, and I think he brings an interesting comic, especially Kickass. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I like the Kingsman too. Yeah, me me as well. Uh, it's I didn't like the Kingsman, but I, I like the, the those first two a, a, a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think there's another one coming out, but. Uh, he has an interesting, fantastical perspective to comic books, right? Uh, overly exaggerating, like, the violence and kick-ass, right? Uh, so he seems perfectly suited to handle this world of the children of the atom, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what comes after this, but... Okay, so to bring it back, X-Men First Class 2011, the trailers come out. I'm just like... And I think I'm a little over X-Men at this point. I think the Origins Wolverine came out, and it was... Okay, but I was just like, yeah, I just I'm I'm kind of X Men out. And the trailer comes out, I was like, I know no one in that movie right. other than Kevin Bacon, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know Michael Fassbender, I don't know Jennifer Lawrence, I don't know Rose Byrne or January Jones. I wasn't watching Mad Men yet. Yeah. So, you know, I think I went to see it as like, well, I'm a geek. I go see all these movies anyway. Maybe you'll just go check it out and see what it's like. And holy shit. Talk about resetting, you know, the curve in a class, right? Of just resetting expectations and like, this is what X-Men should be, right? Can you go back to that? Do you remember kind of like, you know, I think this movie came out and it was almost like a afterthought for people of, I don't need to go see another X-Men movie. I'm different than you. Last Stand did me in. Oh, <laughs> that, that movie. You, you were done in I like, prior. I love, I love X2. X2 is good. But the Last Stand is terrible. And it's going to come up again later yeah, it's okay, a mess. in the it's show. A, it's a mess. Um, the question again with the X-Men for me is, okay, if you want to do it, that's fine. And you have a huge 
volume of characters that you can pull from. Who do you want to use? And if you're going to go back to the 1960s, then it feels like that original X-Men team, which is human-looking beast, Iceman, Angel, and Cyclops. And from that, only one of them made the roster. There's no Iceman in this. It's the Beast. Mm -hmm. So then you're dealing with, okay, well, if we're going to use Banshee and Havoc, (laughs) which is Summer's family, but not the Summers that we want as Cyclops. Sure, yeah. Okay, uh, Banshee's an interesting choice. Uh, This lineup of, like, how how Matthew Vaughn picked, like, okay, I'll be like, Angel, but not the one you know, like, this, like, Dragonfly Angel, Azazel, Riptide, Mm -hmm. Banshee, Havoc, kind of cool, and then, like... And Mystique. And Mystique, yeah. It's an interesting lineup. None of the heavy hitters. There's no, no Cyclops. There's no Jean Grey. There's no, there, there, there is a Wolverine. And it might be one of the best moments of the whole movie. Maybe right? one of Marvel's best cameos. The yes. Marvel's best cameo ever. But you know what I mean? None of the, yeah. like the heavy, no Gambit. It's, this is a really odd X lineup. Well, so when I saw Banshee, I was like, wow, Banshee. Dude, we're scraping a barrel. And okay, what are you going to do with the power of voice? Now, Havoc essentially represents the same summer's paradigm. It's just not ice. So that still works. But for me, first class goes back to that 1961 comic. And this is sort of that, but it's not. But regardless, as burned out as the last stand made me, this did have me enthused and excited to see it because, and this is crazy. And this is honest to God truth. I couldn't believe they chose Banshee. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Well, watching it the other day, I still couldn't believe they chose this character. I was like, this is so weird. It's just like, it is weird. Sound effects guy, like break the sound barrier. Like one of the things though, that I think does work for this is the Xavier pre wheelchair. Xavier is not a lot of X-Men storytelling. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you see Xavier preambulating, normally on two feet, then you can't but help lean into, oh, are we going to get the story on what happened? And that is a really interesting moment, especially the way it's done a little bit later on when we see... It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's good in this, but it's even better when we get the, the James McAvoy that's hard drinking and hard loving and, and hard hating. Oh, and the next one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's a really stupid, long, tangential answer to... They had me back in, and then Singer's name was on it, and this is before Brian Singer became the persona non grata that we now recognize persona him as. Persona non grata. By the good. way, this is totally off the subject. Yeah. I have to ask you. Mm-hmm. Don't forget where we are. Yeah. Brian Singer, persona non yeah. grata. Did you do Loki? The show? No. I heard the last episode is loaded. Okay. No, I was- I, I didn't, I purposely didn't see, but there's some, I, from what I've what I've heard- Okay. In the periphery of you know Twitter, so I'm sure it's 100 percent accurate. Um, no, I was I was out on the first. Season. I am too, but man, you might be pulled back in. Oh, Jesse, you have a break coming up for Thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> to dive into all of Loki. Okay. Anyway, okay. so but back to this persona non grata, Brian Singer. Yeah, I I this like you. I'm a geek. I'm gonna go, and I love the X Men. I love them. After Spider Man, they are my set. Well, it's Spider Man. That's not true. It's Spider-Man, it's Daredevil, and the Fantastic Four, X-Men, all those three kind of share the same second place tier, depending on who's writing what at the time. But it's Spider-Man first, but I love those other ta- those mm-hmm. other titles. But then after the film comes out, you go see it. And, I, you know, we're, we chatted a lot about it during the, like, you saw it multiple times in the theater. 
I mean, what did you think? Were you just like... I think I saw this movie four times theatrically. Yeah, so your expectations were just blown away, right? I loved it. Yeah. I loved it, which is going to be interesting because this viewing mm -hmm. didn't have quite the same... I still loved it. I'm wrong. I'm not going to sprock at it, Jesse. I'm not telling you that. <laughs> um, yeah, I loved it. I think it was a good reboot for the X-Men. I like, I love, you know, it, it kind of happened a little bit with that rise of the planet of the apes film, which was like God, planet of the apes. And I'm like, really? We still care about the apes. And I remember really liking that first, like it was like a, the Wahlberg one. That's no, the, that's the James Franco one. I like that movie. Yeah. I thought it was a good reemergence into that world. Right. But it was a film that when it came out, like I, no one was talking about it yeah. much like this one. Uh, so that yeah, coming into 2011 prior to this, like the X Men are kind of I'm kind of done with them, and then this really got me into it again. And I was like, I want to see more with with these people. But let's start at the beginning here, which uh, and you I know why that is. I'll tell you why that is. Yeah, the X Men, unlike any other long running fictional story, leave the viewer so hungry and often so unsated with possibility around the corner that it's not unlike anything else I've ever read. In all of the fiction I've ever read, there's nothing that has satisfied me less yeah. than the X-Men. Occasionally, it hits a home run and you get Dark Phoenix or you get yeah. um, Cerebro or you get um, like that, all that Garth Ennis stuff and then in the early aughts, all that. Uh, the Chris Claremont stuff. There, there's there's mm -hmm. spectacular moments. But there's a lot of, oh, my God, this could be so cool. Avengers versus X-Men. Mm -hmm. This fucking blows. Oh, my God, this could be so... And, like, unlike... You like, any, you like House of M? Oh, House of M is amazing. Yeah. No More Mutants. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Scarlet Witch's story. But yeah. there's so much promise and occasionally gets it. And that hunger that you mostly don't ever get filled yeah. is why yeah. you like the X-Men. Yeah. That's why I like them, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is a frustrating journey for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's, you know, yeah, coming into 2011 like that. So, yeah, get ready for this one, Matt. Look at the time code over there. Our opening scene is mm. uh, kind of something that's shown to us in one of the other prior X films, which is Eric Lencher in Auschwitz, I think. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever said which one. Yeah. I don't think that that matters at that point. He's just, his family's being willed away and taken from him. And him, his anger being pulled away from his family, his mother specifically in this film, is this first emergence, I think, of this magnetic power to, you know, rip down these concentration camp gates. Now, they've played fast and loose with a lot of, like, origins in the comic books on where these characters come from. Uh, I don't know where the concentration camp stuff started with Magneto, where it starts and begins and ends. I love its inclusion in film because you make this person instantly sympathetic because of the times that he's created in the ultimate oppression of worldwide violence, right? Uh, Nazi Germany with all these people. And then Klaus Schmidt played by Kevin Bacon. Well, Sebastian Shaw, right? Yeah. Maybe working for Hitler to find people with extraordinary power. That's not really said. That's what I'm grabbing at, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Hitler digs for his trinkets in the desert, right? Yeah. The Ark of the Covenant mm -hmm. and the, uh, the, the Tesseract in uh, Captain America, the first Avenger was Hitler trying to recruit some sort of mutant army. Probably, <laughs> probably. And so he's got Kevin Bacon here doing the recruitment for him. And I, I really like that they lean into, he can only tap into these powers under the emotional duress, right? 
under huge stress and he puts it to the test, has mom at gunpoint, kills the mother, and then boy does little boy Eric let this room have it. Yeah. The filing cabinets, this torture Nazi torture room next door. You see the full power that this, you know, unrefined, you know, boy can potentially have. What do you think of Magneto's origin story? I mean, comics, this version, uh, it's, I think, one of the reasons why we start liking the guy is like, yeah, I'd probably do the same thing if I was sure. in his boots, right? You can understand why he acts the way he does, mm-hmm. and then you give him this spectacular ability, and the possibilities are endless. Like, he's going to hate mankind for what they've done to his mother. Yeah. You don't ever get over that. Yeah. And then as you learn how to harness and manifest this ability, this gift or curse, depending, you are watching the rise from an infant level to omega levels of power. Mm -hmm. And then you get with this, because you know it's coming. This young version of Magneto, at some point is going to have to learn how to harness this with Xavier, because that's who teaches all these guys to do this. And you've got a pretty capable villain, Sebastian Stan. Or Sebastian Shaw, I mean. Sebastian <laughs> Stan. He's a winter soldier. Yep. Sebastian Shaw. Yeah. Uh, the Black Queen or the Black King himself. Um, yeah, so we're playing in with the Hellfire Club. We're playing with the creation of Magneto. And there's a lot of entities, I think, for you to root for. Mm-hmm. There's a clear bad guy. Yeah. But there's a lot of sides to root for as that's a good guy, that's a good guy. That's a, I mean, Mystique's a good guy in this film, mm-hmm. a good gal in this film. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's a very striking opening. It it's it really sets the stage for this particular character. And we know a little bit about him from the prior films, but you know, this does a lot more. Like I would watch a whole movie on Magneto's revenge Nazi revenge tour. How could you not? Him going country to country just looking for the guys and just like the boys from Brazil just taking them down. Because yeah. he gets this French guy. Oh my god, that scene's so great. And let's talk about it right now. Okay. Michael Fassbender yeah. as this character. You know, once I settled into the movie, I was like, oh, that's the guy that he was in the that scene from Inglorious Bastards. But other than that, kind of not a lot else that American audience had seen. Okay. So I think for the most part, this is like a lot of people's first exposure to this actor. Uh, and he's going to have a hell of a run here after this, right? And everything from Assassin's Creed to 12 Years a Slave. And it continues to this day, right? Yeah. Uh, what do you think of his casting as this character? Slam dunk. I see that. There's even, in my mind, a similarity between a young Ian McKellen. Mm -hmm. It's a slam dunk. Michael Fassbender, as you said, is kind of a new character on screen. Mm -hmm. Well, look what it did for Hugh Jackman and Wolverine. Literally took him off Australian Broadway, put him on there, which, what? Okay. Yes, I loved him. Mm -hmm. And he looks like what I think Magneto physically should look like. Yeah, a young Magneto. Is Fassbender about 5'7", 5'8"? Five, nine. I can get you an exact height. He seems a little bit on the short side, but like most actors are. But I'm not entirely sure that... Six foot even. Oh, even better. Okay, because I'm not not sure it plays small on screen. Magneto to me should be fairly lithe, Mm -hmm. six feet, kind of (laughs) square-jawed, and Fastbender checks all those boxes. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, Fastbender's really good with subtle rage. Yeah. For all of the problems that I've had with the Covenant films, and none of them have been because I didn't buy his depiction of the pissed off android. No, not at all. The monotone android. 
I get pissed off because Ridley Scott doesn't know where to stop, man. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. <laughs> Damien Lindelof. Look, Michael Fassbender getting to play Magneto. There's many, many actors that would have loved to, to have played that role. Sure. That's a killing, killer role. Yeah. Give him credit, man. He comes he slays. in. And not just in this film. In, in Days of Future Past, Apocalypse, and that god-awful Dark Phoenix movie. Yeah. He's solid in all of them. And I just, I, I don't think, we don't know what's on the MCU periphery as far as X-Men and Secret Wars and what characters are going to shove into what film. Uh, but I'm tired of waiting. Yeah, well, of course. I'm, I'm exhausted of waiting. Get it together. Do you hear that, Marvel? I know you tune in weekly. <laughs> Get your shit together. We plugged man. Loki. God damn it. Make us an X-Men film we like. Exactly. Maybe we'll see him one more time. You think? Because Secret Wars, you know, that's multiverse flim flam, right? Yeah. Maybe we'll get him one more time. If they were smart, they would just be like, you know what? Well, we're going to keep McAvoy and Fassbender going forward. How about that, people? Yeah. <laughs> Give me something like that. So let's let's flip to the other side of the coin. Let's go to America. Okay. Young Charles Xavier waking up in the middle of the night. His mom's raiding the fridge, and he knows. And this ain't my mom because, A, she's probably. Doesn't a, even know where the kitchen is. She's kind of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Why is she being so nice to me? Yeah. And then it, it shrinks down to little child Raven, Raven Darkholm Mystique. I don't know how Charles convinced his family that, okay, now this child's going to live with us now. But this is interesting. Like, I don't don't think the comics ever really went here too much either, which this almost brother-sister mystique Xavier relationship. What do you think about that? And then let's talk about uh, McAvoy and Lawrence too. Yeah, Mystique is a character that the X franchise really chose to champion. And I think it works here. It starts to get... Um, a little bit muddy for me in Days of Future Past because it's just so mystique heavy. Mm-hmm. I get why. Yeah. Rebecca Romine Stamos dressed like that. All of those things make sense. So y- y- you've gone with the mystique path. It makes sense to keep traveling on that road. And it's, and a, it's a cool power, right? She's cool. She looks awesome. Shapeshift into whatever you want to be. <laughs> I mean, and for the X-Men nerd, you're like, oh my gosh, she's now on the team with Azazel and look what Azazel can do. And we know Mystique, oh my God, they're they're hinting at Nightcrawler because that's his family, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so young Raven Darkholm played by Jennifer Lawrence, who looks like she does mm-hmm. when she's Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, I, I, I was watching and I was like, <laughs> how did Raven, the character, decide this will be, I'm picking that person yeah. to like just be 24-7. Right? And good choice. Yeah, uh, pretty good choice. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great choice. She's not so um, OP, overpowered, mm-hmm. and terrifying that I don't see a way where Charles wouldn't befriend her. And where you really start to see the two of them making magic is how they don't, and I like this a lot, that they don't play that there's something unrequited between them. There is no tension between the two of them. No, it's almost like a they're name. just they're just friends. It's like a younger sister, uh, you know, cock blocking you, right? I mean, we they, they, we go to the bar. This um, oh, I love where that. he meets Moira Matagor. I love that scene. I love that they portray Xavier too as like, dude, kind of a cad. Yeah, dude, Jeff Goldblum, a little bit. Yeah, he's just yeah, just like dude, Xavier's a player. It's just. And I don't think Raven cares. And this is his go-to. It's just like, I know what you want to drink. <laughs> Would it? I never had one. Yeah. Would it have been cool mm-hmm. to have a wingman that was a girl? Sure. Did you have one? No. I didn't either. Yeah. All the girls I ever were friends with in high school and early college were girls that I liked. Yeah. Um, no, they've got a cool relationship that's working. And, you know, the X-Men are family, not by blood, but by edict. 
and it makes sense that we're starting to develop Charles through her. That's what that to me, that's her role in this film mm-hmm. is helping explain where Charles comes from. She doesn't have the restraint to get him from trying to roll on Moira when he meets her in the, yeah. in the, in the bar. Oh, he eventually does get her by the way too. Yeah. But she doesn't seem to care. Um, and that's also, I think a little bit troubling because if mystique has spent the majority of her life with this guy that doesn't seem to have any interest in her for whatever reason it might be. And there's a moment later on when he tells her Raven, put your clothes on. Yeah. That's a pretty loaded scene. It is because yeah. he's a little horrified by her blue form. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the question. Mm-hmm. Does he only like me when I'm cute and pretty? Yeah. Cause even young Raven, young Raven as blue Raven, little red haired Raven is cute. Well, you know, in that in that instance, Xavier's a little bit of a hypocrite. I mean, he wants to look out a for a little bit. Yeah, maybe a lot. Uh, wants to look out for all mutant kind, but yeah, when he comes in, or like, put your rig, or put your altered form back on. You're too hideous for me to look at right now. And I think even at times, and that's why I love it. And you know, McAvoy's incredible as his character. We're complicating. Xavier to like Magneto levels of this guy cares, but like it comes with his limits too. And boy, is he about to be dealt a horrible blow that I think really puts things into perspective for Xavier. Magneto and Xavier play in a space that Sith and Jedi play in. Mm -hmm. And as, as on the nose as it might be to not side with the dark side, because you know, you're just not supposed to do that. The light side of the force also pisses me off. Yeah. They're just as annoying. They're too pious for me. Far too pious <laughs> and unable to see any gray through their piousness. Yeah. Xavier's the light side of the force, Jesse. Magneto is the Sith side of the force. Yeah. And that yin and yang work because in moments you celebrate both of them and cheer for them, but equally in moments you're just like, God, you are fucking pissing me off mm-hmm. today with this crap. Yeah. So... Xavier with Raven, who's eventually going to become one of the charter members of the Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. You know where this is headed. And the question then with the very tight bonds that they have is, is it because she's frustrated with him? Is it because Magneto just presents a better pitch? Because I, I think a lot of people present a better pitch than Xavier does. I think it's that. I mean, Magneto at the end, we'll get to it his pitch to come to the other side after what just transpired in the finale of the film. Yeah. Who couldn't agree? Yeah, how would you not go? I mean, he makes a good point. I mean, of course we're going to be persecuted. And then we cut to the next film. Yeah, it happened, right? Everyone's in, in shadows and in shame of having mutant powers. We have to stop for a second because we have gone to task in this show yeah. about how much we hate the villain turn the earth into rubble and rule over it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have all of them in my mind and I don't go back and look at the show notes and see what we've done, but I would argue mm-hmm. since inception of Rice Smile yeah. till now, Marvel might make the case that they have three of the top eight big bads that we've ever covered on the show yeah. with Magneto and Thanos. Mm-hmm. So we can bag on them and we can say formulaic and all of those things, but when there's enough space to really do it right mm-hmm. and the studio isn't so far up their kulos that they can't operate any yeah. other way than how do we franchise? Yeah. As much as we can say Thanos theory theory wise presents a compelling case, maybe you could argue with the execution. Mm-hmm. Magneto's no different. Yeah. 
if there's these people that no matter what you do mm-hmm. are going to hate you, AKA racism. Yeah. Birth from the most racist group of all time, Nazis, mm-hmm. or, or certainly one of them. Yeah. You have really solid footing in why you can relate to these people's plight. Mm-hmm. And that is so important. So I love the X-Men. To yes. making us like the bad guy. Because mm-hmm. there's times in this series, multiple times, I'm like, God, I wish you would just take Xavier and boot him to the curb. Yeah. And just go with this guy because he's just this the problem would be would be solved. We can fix it right now. Yeah. It's, it's just the other reason why I like the X-Men. They're so complicated because oh. of just, you know, where their stance is. And we'll get to the finale of, you know, what that's going to mean of their reveal to the world, right? But, you know, you got Steve Rogers over there and his biggest conflict is like, Ugh, I'm Can a- I find syndication after 1945 because no <laughs> one wants to read me anymore? I'm a 40s man in present uh-huh. day and I can't yeah. be with Peggy Carter. I mean, that's yeah. like his biggest thing, like. Right. Th- these people, I mean, they got real issues. Like, the, the, a, that some of them can't touch each other. How do you have a physical relationship with someone you can? Uh, B, once they announce them, you know, the government they really tries to exterminate them in the next movie, right? With the Sentinel program, Bolivar Trask. Look, man, birthed in the nineteen sixty one era of hate, Ashbury, social conflict, turmoil. Stan Lee at this moment as at the top of his game, really harnessing... Yeah. And Jack Kirby. It, uh, my, yes, and Jack Kirby. Yeah. But he won't give Kirby a single answer. Stan Kirby. won't. It, wait, he won't anymore. I'm either. Stan Lee, and I created the X-Men. It was just me, though. I Think about that. You just said it, right? Yeah. So you have Teenage Angst and Spider-Man. That's like the little bit more suburban view. You've got Space Gone Wild with the Hulk and like this atomic age that we're now all dealing with. Yep. And then you take, of all things, Jesse... The problems of society and domestic life and all the social ills that the America, America is facing in the 1960s and dump them into a team of mutants. And as much as it's about their powers, and it is about that, for me, the moment in the X-Men's that matter are the triangle between Wolverine and Cyclops and Jean and later yeah. Cyclops and Jean and, and Emma. And... The struggle to continue to love someone when they become something you don't even recognize anymore, the Dark Phoenix saga, the importance of family, Wolverine, and of all people, Kitty Pride, who fucking cares. <laughs> the only reason she, like, there's so, your brother puts on this helmet and he can't stop charging. Yeah. Where the X-Men succeed is not in the cool characters and, for me, their awesome powers. Awesome. Great stuff. Yeah. It's all of the internal conflict rubble that yeah. is on every like I got to team up with the guy. He just tried to bag my chick. Well, I let you see and that. Xavier, you're not going to let me say anything to because I got to be better than fuck you. Yeah. And I, I come from that perspective, too. That's why I like them. And on top of that, you got the government bringing down your back saying, oh, you need to register because you're a danger to society. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's trying to steal my chick. The government hates me. And you're sitting here telling me because you're incapable of it other than putting your your head to your, your fingers to your temple of your forehead and telepathing that I got to take these crazy plans and keep all this shit together. Yeah. No, they hate me. Yeah. And now the government's not even and we're going to have another meeting with the government. Okay, Lindsey Graham, maybe right, you can write another sternly lettered, right? Uh, yeah. They're maddening, yeah. but that's why they're so good. That's why I love it. It's it's the most complicated side. And maybe that's why the, they, they like, 
Maybe they just don't know the right way to do it properly and do it justice because it is so loaded. That's why I think Matthew Vaughn here, I think he gets it. Oh, yeah. And I think Singer got a portion of it, but Singer missed out on the fantastical with the X-Men. Dude, he had those guys and dude, like leather, black leather. Dude, what the hell? This feels more in line with what this team should be, right? It's bright, it's colorful, but it's complicated. I could see with Marvel choosing Singer, especially when you look at the usual suspects, how this team of rejects or misfits and trying to make them all work together fits. I get it. Let me ask you this, in sort of the, Hold on. In sort of the same way Marvel looked at Mark Webb and said, look, the, the Peter Gwynn story, which is about love, is really unique. And we, we liked 500 Days of Summer a lot. The oh. the singer stuff with the X Men is far more successful than Web, but I what? I understand where they're coming from. Can we can we can we talk about two great examples, two distinct directors, mm-hmm. Web and Singer, Web and Singer, and the the examples you brought up, Usual Suspects and Five Hundred Days of Summer. But the reason we love both of those films, I don't think, is because of Singer and Webb. We like those films because of those amazing screenplays in there. Oh, yeah. Christopher McQuarrie and those other guys that I can't think yeah. of. Right? Those are two unique stories that I think a director, a director capably handled bringing to the big screen. Sure. I don't know what Singer brings to the table, to be completely honest with you. And I don't know what Mark Webb brings to the table, to be completely honest with you. Because well, the, all the, the recent entries might... Defend that case. Yeah. Who the hell's Mark Webb today? Yeah. I mean, them getting Brian Singer, I mean, whatever, uh, then, but I think they could have gotten many other directors to capably handle what I thought was, you know... uh, James Mangold? David Hayter and Zach Penn and all these people that had contributed to an X-Men screenplay for years. You want James Mangold? Why not? Yeah. I know. He's able to... He slays Logan. I know. Anyway, just because we're talking about the singer of it all and the power of usual suspects is in its performances, but that screenplay is so tight and unique, right? That's Christopher McQuarrie, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same the same for 500 Days of Summer. So, like, I don't know where the studios were like, those guys, directors, because they're going to bring those. No, the power was in the story first. Spect. Yeah. Not even adapted. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that those are perplexing choices, but then Singer attaches himself to this franchise for years. But I think Matthew Vaughn has a better understanding of what makes this group tick and what they're like. Right. So let me ask you a question about Singer. Cause it's, we're pretty hard on him lately. Yeah. I mean, the reasons we're hard on him, I mean, outside of the fact of, you know, his possible atrocities. Yes. Right? Yes. We don't need to get into all of that. Go look. No, I think we're talking artistic. Yeah. 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 Um, does he realize his limitations in this and that's why he goes to Vaughn? But his ego doesn't let him fully go all no, the way out? I think so because I think uh, like when people accept X-Men First Class as a hit and a critical success, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I want back I'm all in. over it. I'm, I'm, I'm back, baby. Because mm-hmm. he comes back for Days of Future Past. And I like that movie. I like that movie too, but maybe a mistake to not have bring Matthew Vaughn back to continue mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Because it gets kind of dark and dreary again, oh, yeah. right? It gets leathery again. <laughs> uh, so I, 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 I don't know, but I'm really on board with, you know, this origin, original viewing, this viewing, this casting. I love Fastbender. I love James McAvoy. And go back and listen to episode two, Split, the Oscar-winning performance that never got a shred of recognition, right? He's fantastic as young Xavier. Young Patrick Stewart, it's another great casting. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, 
Also really good. And then to, to kind of have the foresight of a lot of these people too, this was a year before Hunger Games and Silver Linings Playbook for her. And they're just like, who is this other person? Winter's Tale maybe, is that about it? Oh yeah, yeah, Winter's Bone. That's what I meant, yeah. But she's about to blow up the next year, right? Yeah. So the casting director on this film knew something of like, these people can play these characters and they're also going to be huge stars in the future. Hey, you know, I watched her um, in No Strings Attached this weekend. What'd you think? Last weekend. Uh, yeah, so it's, I think it's probably worth a shot. I was going to say, that's the type of film that you would like as I did like the it. people mentoring that shouldn't be, right? Yeah. You like that type I, of film. Did you see it? Not yet. It's worth a watch. Yeah, I'll definitely want to check it out. Um, let's talk about the Hellfire Club. Yeah, let's. Kevin Bacon. So, you know, Magneto's on his revenge tour. We have that fantastic scene in Argentina where he decimates these guys looking for Klaus Schmidt. The pig farmer. Amazing. Dude, Fassbender's speaking German, French, Spanish, and English in this Mm -hmm, movie. mm -hmm. He's just letting it all out there. And then Xavier's becoming, you know, an Oxford professor or whatever. And he has these great theses on the mutagen, right? Uh, The mutant gene, evolution, all this stuff. On the other side of that, we have the government investigating this interesting fella named Sebastian Shaw and this thing called the Hellfire Club. Mm -hmm. This is the only Hellfire Club I care about. I don't care about the Hellfire Club from Stranger Things season four. Right. Uh, Talk a little bit about them and then Kevin Bacon in in particular. I mean, this is a unique villain for not only X-Men, but for the superhero films. He can essentially harness the power of energy. So a grenade a nuclear weapon, a gun, and then re-emit that in his own destructive prowess. Yeah. What do you think of both of those? Bacon and Sean. (laughs) It's a more powerful version of Gambit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The problem at this point would probably lie with the Hellfire Club. Because of what has happened in the previous films, you sort of already destroyed what the Hellfire Club could be with the Dark Phoenix. So if you're going to give it to me in the 1960s, in the beginning of the X-Men tale, my my mind immediately goes, okay, who's the white queen? Who's the black queen? Who's the, like, all of that stuff. And we don't get any of the black stuff in this. We just get the white side, which is fine. But I was a little worried because if you're giving me the Hellfire Club in 1961 and this is the new path forward with the X-Men, that story has then been exhausted, and that story is the Dark Phoenix story. It, and we'd already seen it not play well. So, mm-hmm. but the, the the part of me, the X fin, the X fan part of me, wanted to see them try that again in a way that wasn't so shittily done because it's such a good story. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to give me the beginning, the first half of the Hellfire Club in 1960 early. I don't know how far we can go forward with this to the movie's credit. It tells you there's no way further with this, that this is done. I think it's a fantastic team to oppose the X-Men, right? You have this person who wants to essentially start world war Mm three and announce the emergence of the mutants, thus kind of creating this, anti-sympathetic society that Magneto is super worried about. And he has beef with this guy because he killed his mom, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think they a fantastic villain. They have a telepath on their side and Emma Frost. Again, I'm a little shaky on her power. She can, like, become a diamonds, but she's essentially another Xavier, too. Yes. 
Omega they, level telepath. Yeah. They have a, a night crawler and a storm as well. Yeah. So yeah, that's a pretty uh, formidable, formidable brotherhood to, to fight against. So, you know, they recruit Xavier, the government does Xavier and to help us figure out mutants and this shock, because we think he's up to no good, right? Mm-hmm. He's meeting with these generals, you know, we're learning about missiles and missile placement and Soviet Russia, USSR, uh, it's a little dicey here. So Xavier, see how you can help us out. And we get this great scene out in the middle of the water where Magneto comes to destroy Shaw. And, you know, he kind of just runs in guns blazing and they, they stop him like mm-hmm. right then and there, but not before he decimates this vessel with the anchor chain. And then we get to see these two characters finally interact for the first time. Get off! Get off! Hold on! Just breathe! What? Yeah! Who are you? But it's Charles Xavier. You were in my head. How did you do that? You have your tricks. I have mine. I'm like you. Just calm your mind. I thought I was alone. You're not alone. Eric, you're not alone. It's such a Charles Xavier thing to say. Well, that's what I like about the X-Men, too, is, you know, they've gone through their time like... Imagine growing up, like, and then you turn 12 and, like, oh, my God, I can, like, run through a wall? That's weird. Yeah. I'm an outcast uh, to finally realize that there's, oh, no, we're all kind of strange in our own own weird way. It's it's a little comforting of sorts. But, man, Xavier, uh, Magneto's such a wild card because, A, you know he wants to kill this guy. But, B, you can really recognize his power. And I think Xavier recognizes that uh, right away, and he tests that fully with that satellite dish scene. Uh, So essentially, here's the story, people, is now we have Magneto here in our team, and we know there's this other team assembling and doing some shady shit with Russia and Cuba and missiles. And I love that they tie this into the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like, that's such good writing to tie it into history. Uh, We have to put our own team together to be able to oppose something like that. So then we get the recruitment scene, right? We use this, we're, we're introduced to Hank McCoy here, right? Played by Nicholas Holt. And he's invented this thing called Cerebro, which once Xavier wields this, he's able to see every mutant in the planet, right? And so then we get this great montage of recruiting the X team. But this is where it gets weird too, right? I mean, we're like, we're recruiting Zoe Kravitz's angel. Okay. <laughs> uh, Havoc? Okay. Cyclops' brother, I guess. And yep. then Banshee? And then Darwin? Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. The X lineup here is something left to be desired with, right? Right. And then we get that fantastic scene that we alluded to, right, as the cameo from Hugh Jackman. I'll, I'll, I remember where I was in the theater. And I'm Charles Xavier. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm Eric Lencher. Go fuck yourself. So good. <laughs> just so Wolverine, right? <laughs> yes. And the, the fact that Jackman agreed to play ball, right? Yeah. I think that's what makes that scene just him smoking a huge stogie years before he has the skeleton, the, the adamantium, right? He's got bone skeleton Yeah. Uh, at that point. Fantastic. But what do you think of the recruitment of the X-Men? And again, let's talk about this weird lineup that we have here. This is what I love, getting these ingenues into Westchester and teaching them how to harness their power, that's great. Because then you get a lot of character stuff, you get a lot of conflict, but you also get to see our titular heroes struggle. And of all of them, you know who the best is? It's Havoc. 
that guy is reckless. Are you talking about when they, once they're at the Xavier Mansion? Yeah. Well, because we get this whole sequence here where they're at the CIA base, yeah. right? <clears throat> well, what's important that happens here is this night of debauchery where they basically just drink and destroy the little area that they're in. Oh, you have the sun. All right, let's play it. What are you doing? Who destroyed the statue? It was Alex. No, Havoc. We have to call him Havoc. That's his name now. And we were thinking, you should be Professor X. And you should be Magneto. Exceptional. I expect more from you. You know what I really like? Such a Xavier thing to say. <laughs> How many times are you going to say that? It was just like, dude, that's so Xavier. Uh. <laughs> he's just, he's wooden, right? It's God. just... Uh, in, in, but there's times I also love him, too. In an interesting... It's wooden in an interesting way of just like, gosh, this guy's such a hard ass of like... And he won't even look in the mirror at his own inadequacies until I think Magneto shines some of those to the light, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is a great scene because it's like uh, teenage, adolescent, early 20s, youth. You're locked up. You're told you can't go anywhere. What are you going to do? Yeah, we're going to have some fun here. Sure. We're going to drink, have some fun. We're going to come up with some funky names. And I love that they kind of give them their names. I usually chagrin at shit like that. Mm-hmm. But I love that she gives him like, you should be Professor X and you should be Magneto. Because at the very end of this film, was he come back like, I prefer Magneto. Magneto. Oh, man. Yeah. Sends chills up my bones. Mm-hmm. Uh I think it's a great scene. I think it's it, it just shows like yeah, it's a youthful scene. It's early sixties kind of rebellious culture. Mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. The X Men are going to lean into that a little bit. Uh, well, because while they're drinking and hanging from chandeliers and setting statues' heads on fire, Sebastian Shaw is trying to harness a nuclear military arsenal to drop on the world, and that's so good mm-hmm. because how do you make up all that ground? to take down the bad guy. And the question is, it doesn't look like it's going to happen to me. Yeah. So we have that scene too, where they go to Russia and, you know, Emma Frost is trying to talk to this military general and they're, they able to capture her, get her locked up. And I love you break her neck. Magneto's about to kill her, right? Shatter her into a million pieces. And, you know, Charles is able to bring him kind of back down to the level on the opposite side. Shaw and crew are uh, assaulting this facility here. They killed Darwin, which uh, just what a shitty power. It was made up for the movie. Right? <laughs> what a shitty power. Just like, dude, I can grow gills. Or I can turn into stone. It's just like, God, oh, that's a pretty lame X power, right? Um, but they don't have a home now. Uh so I, I really like this scene here too, where they kind of decide what they're gonna do. We can avenge him. Eric, what please? They're just kids. No, they were kids. Shaw has his army. We need ours. We'll have to train. All of us. Yes? Yeah. We can't stay here. Even if they reopen the department, it's not safe. We've got nowhere to go. 
Yes, we do. Can we? My house. My, my sprawling estate that was left for me, <laughs> right? I've taken mutants in since I was at a very young age. Yeah. Can we play devil's advocate here for a second? So you're going to, we're going to, this is almost like fantasy football, right? Okay. Let's go back to 2011. Let's pretend that the MCU and the Kevin Feige powers that be were somehow able to wrangle the X-Men rights away from 20th Century Fox. Mm -hmm. Let's say this movie comes out in 2011, a year before the Avengers, and that this is the X-Men team being introduced to the MCU world as this is the X-Men lineup. We're setting up a pretty cool origin story here for these heroes, right? Yeah. Their music, how they're getting the house, the X-Mansion, and then especially how we're going to end the film. We essentially, making a murderer, we create the villain through the course of this film with Magneto, Eric, right? Do you think that, and and you know what? And if they play the long game, maybe the Avengers, they don't show up through any of Infinity War, but maybe they show up now instead of this multiverse garbage that we're in. And now we're in the age of the children of the Atom, right? But we built up to that with this new cast. What do you think of that? I was I was playing that game in my head when I was watching this. Of why couldn't this have been the team then, and we were just familiar with it now? Yeah, it's a shame. They'd be a whole lot less murky where they're going forward. You would know that the X Men are still in play in some version, and, and I the- could I could see the X Men saying, "I'm taking a back seat to this mm-hmm. Infinity nonsense because a, not my." Circus, not my, not my monkey, not my circus, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of their mentality already until it directly involves them. Yeah, damn you legal rights. And it's part of the problem that still troubles the X-Men today. Yeah, I like where you're at. Here's my question, though. I'm going to do you one. If you have Cap, Thor, and Iron Man, can you conceive a path forward? with Banshee, Havoc, and Angel? No. Avenger, you got to choose better, better X-Men. No, 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 no. We can still have these X-Men here, but we gotta, we're building up to Cyclops and Storm and Jean Grey, and we'll get, we'll get that team later. I'm okay with this origin tale. We're starting young, fresh, boots on the ground. Uh, it is going to feel a little bit raw, so I'm okay with that because I know what we're going to get later. We're going to get the people we know and love. Okay, so yeah, if you can project a way forward where we get some more heavy hitters in there, Banshee's taken on a role and the mansion is like an instructor or something, Mm -hmm. then yes. But it does really change the path forward because you're not going to get Thanos. Yeah. You're going to get... Well, no, here, here, play play, play this game with me here. Okay. The entire Infinity Saga plays out as is. Okay. But essentially, we get to have X-Men First Class, Days of Future Pass, maybe Apocalypse... We get a yeah. couple X-Men stories, and then the final moments at Endgame are lead into this team kind of taking over as the focus of the world going forward. They don't have to be players in, in that because that's already busy, right? Mm-hmm. But we're learning about them and growing with them, and I love that they're period set. Keep them in the 60s, 70s, and then when we finally get to them, they're a little older, um, but ready to roll here, and now it's the Age of Mutants. But you know, it's the rights thing. It's twenty. It's all these freaking deals that were made ahead of time because of bankruptcy and nonsense. And we're gonna come back again to Brian Singer and Kevin Feige because I've been reading a lot about that X Men uh, first X Men film. And Singer got the characters, and he always understood because he's a he's a gay man. Yeah. 
understood the characters as, you know, a repressed group and, you know, you know, a demographic, right? Uh, so that's that was his perspective into the characters. And Kevin Feige was Laura Schuler, Laura Schuler Donner's assistant that grew to like uh, assistant producer on that first X-Men film. And what I've learned is that he really knew nothing about the X-Men prior, but learned quickly what that group was all about. Mm -hmm. And so he was given notes to everyone on that set about, no, this is what the X-Men really are. And I don't think Singer ever really truly understood that. The fantastical and multi-layered side of the X-Men universe. So... It's just interesting. I think I think he does get it. I think he knows how to do it. It's just we're waiting so long to get there that we could have had this in place, you know, a long time ago. But would you have preferred that to how the Avengers unfolded? If we had gone the X-Men route instead of the Avengers route, would you have preferred that? Well, in my pitch here of the Avengers thing still happens unaltered. And then we're just getting the X-Men on the side as like a side appetizer. Yeah, I'm okay. But if it's integrated, ugh, it might be pretty messy. Well, because the other thing, too, that now you bring in play Mm -hmm. is with what happens in Avengers 2, where the government turns on them over the Scarlet Witch's inability to essentially control a blast. Mm -hmm. If that still happens, Mm -hmm. then it would make sense the government whatever or whoever team is commissioned by the government as protector for those type of things gets brought in. And as much as I want to see the Avengers or the X-Men take on the black order, Mm -hmm. dude, Avengers X could be awesome. That, that, that changes civil war dramatically. Oh, for sure. But I kind of like it, how it played out, but I also kind of want like a better lead into what we're going through now. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I guess that's what I'm pitching is like, this could be the age of the mutants instead of the age of the fucking multiverse, right? Well, here's the other thing though too, Jesse, with that, it's still there. It's it's in reverse order. Mm-hmm. All you had to have done in the last six years yeah. is make one film or follow through in the multiverse on what we saw in Doctor Strange with that team. Yeah. You saw Xavier, mm-hmm. you saw Reed Richards. Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe... It's coming. <laughs> maybe it's Loki. Maybe that's what we're talking maybe about. No, no, I'm Loki. serious. Yeah. I heard it's huge. Okay. So maybe this is there. And I also know a teensy tiny, and I haven't seen it yet, and I don't know when I'm going to see it because I just- The Marvels? Yes. I'm not going to see that I movie. know a teensy nugget of the final end credit scene, and it is X-Men based. So- Tell me. It's Beast. Kelsey Grammer's Beast. Kelsey Grammer? Frazier? Yeah. Because do you remember he played Beast in yeah. The Last Stand? So there's a scene there with Monica Rambeau and the, and he shows up in like a lab coat. Well, to that, yeah, let's go. So it's again there, right? Is he carrying Nathaniel Essex's suitcase? Because <laughs> that was introduced and yeah. never played out to anything either. So I don't, I, I don't know. I know they're toying around with it, but it just seems too little too late. I mean, just the, the consensus I just have on Marvel, the MCU right now, it's just everyone is just so out. Lost. It's not uh, just us. It's just like... The consensus is we want to go see Oppenheimer and Barbie <laughs> the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. We're done with that. It's old. It's played out. We're tired. And that seems like a shame because, man, these X-Men characters could come in and bring in fresh new life to this universe. I'm going to devil's advocate you here. Okay. 
everybody's out until one of these films gives them a reason of to course, be back in. Of course, right? And the execution on this is far simpler than we could possibly imagine. Do you want to know why? Mm-hmm. There's 65 years of material that they can pull from well, that's already been pre-storied, pre-designed, mm-hmm. pre-conflicted, yeah. pre-written. It's right there in black and white. Well, let's talk about that. I hey, mean, but to, just while you're at that Marvel, yeah. but not the Dark Phoenix scene because you guys clearly cannot handle that. It, Let that dog lay on the ground forever. <laughs> that horse has been kicked to death. If you have Black Widow and Shang-Chi and the Eternals. I'm and, out. Changing the well, channel. No, we, we were out. You know what was our avenue back in? Spider-Man No Way Home. That yep. brought us back in for like uh, a glimmer, right? <laughs> and then like we were back out again with just uh, Loki and Winter Soldier and uh, freaking, what was the... The movie, what was the, the, uh, Jesus. The Eternals? No, 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 no. What came out after that? Uh, 2022, uh, I'm gonna have to look it up because I've. Doctor Strange? Plum forgot. Oh yeah, that was, it was Doctor Strange and, uh, there was one other one. Oh, Thor, Love and Thunder. Yeah, so then they, they had a good win in there and then they doubled down on more garbage. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's, it's just, the, we're, we're out until we're back in again. But what's going to bring us back in? Is it Secret Wars? Like That's three, four years down the line. I don't know if I'm waiting that it's long. It's not Iron Wars either. It's new, fresh <laughs> material. Because that's coming too, right? The, pow- the Fuck, Battle of the Suits. I do not want to watch that at all. No. Look, dude. <laughs> as important as... Okay, this, this is the fault of this whole Marvel bit. Yeah. I have zero desire to want to see the Marvels. I'm not seeing that film. I yeah. could care less about any of those three characters. Yeah. But what they do is make a mediocre at best film and then find a way to kick some butt for about 45 seconds with no pre-writing necessary, Mm -hmm. completely cliffhangered, and you get everything at your disposal because, in a sense, it's almost a dream sequence. Why not bring Kelsey Grammer in the lab coat on screen for a minute because then everyone goes, oh my gosh, looks and the rest of the movie, the if it's an hour and fifty-five minutes, it's probably not. It's probably two thirteen. Actually, the Marvels is one forty. Oh, to that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be one reason I see it. <laughs> so out of yeah, so out of one forty, one thirty-nine and thirty seconds are terrible, but you gotta kill it for the last thirty seconds that's not even about the movie, other than maybe one of the characters shows I know, up. It's about- and that is the problem. I know. You don't have to do anything good because you've got this parachute at the end that's got a ripcord ready to go all the time. And we're going to get the Black Knight. We're going to fucking puck. And we're going to get all of this other nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And But occasionally you figure out, you know who would kill? Kelsey Grammer is the beast. Ah, let me ask you this now, and then we'll get back to the movie. Oh, yeah. How much is then writing now on Daredevil or uh, Deadpool 3 next summer? Bringing in a character that, A, has worked in Fox's Marvel Universe. We've liked those first two films. But now you're bringing Jackman back as Wolverine. And you're going to maybe set up other cameos from the X-verse or whatever-verse. How much is writing on that to get us back on board again? And be R-rated and hard-hitting, which is something the MCU hasn't been. Might I say everything? And then might I double down with that is the absolute wrong answer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. I don't like Deadpool. Yeah. He's a bit grating, right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's exhausting. I love the movies. Mm-hmm. I, I, he's, he's unreadable to me. I would sit down and read Thor sooner than I would read Deadpool. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to introduce those characters in there speaks to the success of that kind of middle fingered way that Deadpool goes about it, which works like, and, and, mm-hmm. and like I love those films. Yeah. But if you set the tone with them in that, mm-hmm. can you build an apparatus that isn't snarky, sarcastic, um, dismissive and temporary the way that, Deadpool goes about just about every scene. Deadpool works because Ryan Reynolds is Ryan Reynolds also. Oh, he was born to play that character. <laughs> born to play that character. Yeah. If you, I don't care if you burn cable. Like, I'm fine if you burn cable, right? That's not a deal breaker for you. It's not a deal breaker. Colossus, maybe not quite as much, but okay, I'm okay if you burn Colossus. I kind of like that second Deadpool. <laughs> maybe we should cover, maybe, maybe we'll do uh, the Deadpool mm-hmm. trilogy before that one, right? No, we, we'll do that. Do you yeah. remember that fantastic scene where they skydive? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think his name's Pete. Yeah, the the mustache guy. Yeah, and then that Brad Pitt cameo, dude, a fantastic sequence. Sure, it knows what lane it's playing in. But if that, you're right. If that's the linchpin of oh, this is what's going to be going forward, yeah, that might be a miss. But I, I think there's a lot riding on that movie to get audience interest back in these films. The way I look at it is like this, Jesse. This is completely. Hey, I'm not going to chagrin the lack of interest because hey, give me more Bob Barbie and Oppenheimer any day of the week, yeah. right? This idea of introducing comedically X-Men characters Mm -hmm. in a black comedy, an action black comedy, to something that will not be action black comedy. I don't know how... Again, burn cable. I don't give a shit. Yeah. You show Gambit in that, or you show... I think maybe. Rogue, or you show one of them in there. I think maybe. (laughs) <laughs> and then you bring that back. Okay, we got Gambit. Everybody liked him, but it's not the Gambit from Deadpool, even though it is the same cast and the same character. This is, there's already a disconnect. The foundation is not stable because it's not representative of something that's consistent. Can I tell about another rumor I've heard of? <laughs> and I just don't, I don't, I, I can't, this is just hearsay, right? Yeah. Uh, that Secret Wars the blunt of that, the plot of that film. Are we talking like the Beyonder and the the Venom suit? And like what? Essentially how, what I've read, and again, it's just, this is just speculation, is that, you know, Kang Dynasty would end with, you know, a pretty significant Infinity War blow to the team, the characters we've been watching for the last couple of years. Okay. Secret Wars is essentially like a seven samurai of sorts with, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man trying to reformulate a team to fight Kang. Let's go. That sounds pretty good to Let's me go. too, right? right? And if that's the final appearance of both of those actors playing those characters and we're saying goodbye to the past and a hello to the new, that might be okay. I might be okay with that. Uh, okay, so that's the rumor. Fine. Yeah. We know how rumors are. Yeah. Who's with them? Doctor Strange? I don't know. See, that's he might be gone. That's uh, the other part. Yeah, I, 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 Jesse, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, mm-hmm. is far, far more popular and readable mm-hmm. than the Black Knight. Yeah, or the Jack of Hearts, mm-hmm. or Triathlon, or whatever D list. And that's where that's where you're going to run into problems. Well, they've run into problems <laughs> also on you know you know the actor strike, writer strike hasn't done anyone any favors, and then. Blade with Mahershala Ali, which I have a smidge of interest in, yeah, is on its sixth screenwriter from the uh, page one rewrite, and oh, really? the rumor is that Mahershala wants out. So it's just like you got actors that don't even want to like play ball anymore. I mean, it's there's a bit of a mess going on right now. 
Yeah. Anyway, anyway, treat it as rumor speculation. It's what I hear on the grapevine, but hey, even if we're all the way out, you and I are going to Secret Wars opening night. I mean, we're, again, at the biggest hypocrites, but also its biggest, you know, naysayers as well because we've and i think the 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 perspective is we've seen it work and when it works it's great and when we've seen it's half-assed we can tell right Mm -hmm. and we want more quality in in all of this i don't know man you kind of hooked me into loki season two which my god i know did i i know (sighs) me too did i hook you into the marvels a little bit with yes yes I think you can go watch that scene on YouTube, so you can might save yourself. Did you already watch it? <laughs> I sure did. We're probably going to watch it as soon as we cut the show. There yeah. you go. Yeah. There you go. But um, let's get to the X-Men. Oh, yeah. There's a movie we're covering this week. <laughs> These are my favorite. You know what? I got to be honest with you. I love covering a Marvel film because we always go down this rabbit hole of what could have been, what should be, what's happening. What's yeah. It's so geeky, Yeah. but I live in that world. I love it. I, I love talking about that stuff. And I don't have another avenue to like shoot off all those conspiracy theories at, right? So, you and me, homie. To the show. And you, Ryan Nation. Yes. Thank you for listening to these Rants. Fluctu- yeah, <laughs> fluctuations of nothing. There you go. So the X-Mansion. This mm. is where we get a great montage of we have our team, but they're so unrefined. We got to get them to some level of competency. Banshee, can you f- you could probably fly if we gave you a little suit with your sound waves. He just had a little suit. Yeah. It's so dismissive. His, his little wings, right? <laughs> yeah. I love that scene, though. It's a great moment of comedy where they push him out the window and he just falls. Uh, Havoc, uh, Alex Summers can't control these kinetic blasts coming out of his chest. The beast runs like the wind. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Okay. I guess, and I guess Mystique's uh, training is just weightlifting, whatever. Okay. Uh, yeah. But then we get, you know, they make some headway here. Uh, Banshee mm-hmm. flies through the satellite dish. She's able to harness the power of flight. They've lost Angel, though, yeah. Zoe Kravitz. She's gone to the dark side. Mm-hmm. And then we get what I think is a truly fantastic scene in the X-Men verse, which is this one right here. What did you just do to me? I accessed the brightest corner of your memory system. It's a very beautiful memory, Eric. Thank you. I didn't know I still had that. There's so much more to you than you know. Not just pain and anger. It's good, too. I felt it. And when you can access all that, you'll possess a power no one can match. This is true. Not even me. Not even you. So come on. Try again. I need the X-Men to go down to Cuba and stop the missile crisis. <laughs> Why not? What could go wrong? Hang on. <laughs> I, 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 we'll talk about that. 
What do you think of that scene there? I mean, it's, you know, Xavier going into the darkest recesses of Eric's mind of like, oh my God, concentration camps, using that, you know, negative energy to kind of essentially a pep talk to tell him you can move that satellite dish. I think that's pretty powerful stuff there. And, you know, as an actor, you know, how convincing can you look going like this and make it look believable and then have like tears running down your eyes. But man, these two guys, they find a way to do it. Right. Vulnerability, Jesse. Mm -hmm. It's as vulnerable as Eric's going to be. And maybe the last time for Xavier too, because he's going to come to that helmet, which blocks Xavier's telepathy from changing his mind or reading his mind. Mm -hmm. Is that scar that Xavier gets to see so Spain, so pain, so painful, (laughs) so painful that even if it's discussed or slightly brushed, yeah. it sparks this fire. The answer is yes. And that's why Magneto operates on the daily the way he does with the extermination of mankind because they hate him and he hates them. Mm-hmm. He thinks. So watching him in this moment move that satellite dish, which is a monumental feat, by the way, mm-hmm. as he's crying is that important piece between Xavier and Magneto, Eric, that's always going to be there. And no matter what happens on your worst day, on your best day, with your most devious plan and your most dastardly comeuppance, I still get you. I know you in a way that no one else will know you. And what you're creating is a brotherhood between these two. Certainly genetically, it's already been there. Mm -hmm. But now emotionally... And for a brief moment, these two guys are as close as they can be. And two things are happening. Number one, I might argue that Xavier, although he asks, he doesn't just delve in like he does most of the time, is so quizzical, it's almost bordering on abusive. Mm -hmm. And that abuse, if you want to play that theme out, is what we see sometimes, and that's the abuser just kind of tucks turtles and takes it. And I think when you have that, and those are best friends, Mm -hmm. and Xavier to heal Magneto has to go so deep and play with that emotion, and Magneto has to allow himself to allow that to happen. It's it's, It's beautiful, and it's vulnerable, and it's It's real. But it's not sustainable yeah. for either one of them. Well, think of how violating Charles's power is. Like yes. going into the deepest recesses of your memories. Like, I don't want that on me. Like, dude, that guy thinks about chicken wings and big trouble in little China too much. And then he puts a computer on it that makes it a thousand times more powerful. Exactly. Yeah. Again, this is the fucking Jedi argument. Mm-hmm. You're not as right as you think you are there, Golden Boy. Yeah. I think it's 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 pretty great. It's it's and then we're gonna we're gonna see Magneto do some remarkable things throughout these movies. He's gonna lift a sub here in a couple minutes. He's gonna lift a whole stadium in the next movie. He's gonna lift the Golden Gate Bridge later in the future. I mean, this guy has supreme power, and I think it's because of this one moment that you know, if you dig deep enough into you know this kind of anger and this, uh, you know, trying to right a wrong that you're trying to do these atrocities you can tap into like i think he tells him too he's like you could be more a power you that i can't even tap into yeah. more powerful than me and i think he's right yeah uh that's pretty good uh now story wise 
I love that Matthew Vaughn decided to set this between the real Cuban Missile Crisis and Sebastian Shaw's sub that's about to go right through the middle and essentially start World War III with mutants being the thing left over at the end of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's you know great storytelling to tap into the real world, but there's a couple things that happen here at the expansion that I think warrant conversation before we get to the battle. Uh, the first one, you know, Beast and Mystique, Hank McCoy, have been kind of like this romantic kind of dance they've been doing. Mm-hmm. And Beast is like, I could probably cure you and me with your genes because this power to become something else, that might be the key to like fixing this, you know, abnormality. And it's at that point when Mystique's like, oh, I kind of don't know, maybe I'm there's nothing wrong with me. And he's like, well, I'm still going to test it. And then he becomes, dude, a wolf man. <laughs> he does. It's he, pretty horrifying. So then that's just, you know, I think in the next film, he found a way to kind of like revert back to his human form. But this is pretty horrifying, right? Mm-hmm. Jekyll and Hyde, wolf man. Do you like him? Do you like how he looks? Uh, I don't like when he talks. I don't either. I don't think they, they nailed the ADR on that. They kind of fumbled. Yeah. His look, I think, is pretty good. That's what it would have to look like. Mm-hmm. He's blue dog. Blue werewolf. This poor guy. I know. It really was just about his feet. Mm-hmm. And what they granted him was a skill set that I think would be enough to probably worth putting up your feet because just put some shoes on. I can cling on things. Sure. Yeah. Do you like Nicholas like Nicholas Holt? In, I do. This role? Yeah. I liked I you know, we, we did um Van Helsing too. Yeah. I like that film. Oh Renfield. Renfield. I mean Renfield. We like you know, for for what he was in that. I liked Renfield, yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> You're telling your girlfriend, Mm -hmm. essentially, I don't like the way we look. I I don't know what world you live in, Jesse, but most women that I've told that to have not taken too kindly to it. What he tells her, which is, I don't like how you look because it's what makes you up. Mm -hmm. This is the core of you. And if you take these drugs, we can fix that. And then we'll both be beautiful together and we can be a couple. Mm -hmm. Mystique hands it handles it really really well she basically says hank you're gorgeous like just be you yeah and in this state he's far less off-putting mm-hmm. aesthetically with his large feet than he's about to become and this is why you asked me earlier honorable mention the beast this poor bastard cannot get out of his own way and it's through self-loathing yeah and trying to solve that, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It's interesting. Mystique's kind of the conduit of all these three scenes. I mean, she starts throwing out the mutant and proud, which is a little cringy in it my is. estimation. Yeah. <laughs> but then she shows up in Magneto's bed, naked, and he's like, I prefer the real Mystique. And then it's Rebecca Romaine, which I think is a cool little Easter egg. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I prefer the real Mystique, Raven. And then it's like back to blue form, and he's like, perfection. And he's like, essentially trying to tell her a lesson of like, I don't care about the surface you. I want the real you trying to show her that's more beautiful than Jennifer Lawrence, which, okay. <laughs> <It's> just, <coughs> yeah. But that's Magneto's game here. And then we get that scene back to back with her all blue with Charles, essentially how they met, right? At the refrigerator. And he's like, oh my God. Oh my God, Mystique, put, put some, something on your blue body. Put some clothes on. And Is she, he repulsed or just shocked by her? I watched that scene twice. I couldn't come to a, a solid take on it. I might say a little bit of both. I, yeah. Yeah. I, and I'm leaning more a little on the repulse side. And then you see, that's the complex part of Xavier, which is like, I think he believes in what he's fighting with, but like. But when push comes to shove, oftentimes he doesn't live his values. Exactly. Yeah. 
I think that's his best friend since they were like eight, Jesse. Yeah, yeah. Why would you talk to her like that? Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to be creepy in this way, but if that's his best, if your best friend is your girl, like a girlfriend, mm-hmm. I don't mean physically, but a girl who's a friend, you know, not that they did, but they've been through baths together and they've been through so many things that when he sees the grown up version of her and he has to avert his eyes, Mystique in the last you know, three scenes gets three heavy doses of reality. Mm -hmm. The one the beast gives her Magneto ultimately shoots her down. Now for the right reasons, his is the most noble of the defiance because she's just too young. What does he tell her? Maybe in a couple of years. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's at least rooted in, in solid intentions. Mm -hmm. And then the guy she's the closest to with no romantic lead Mm -hmm. acts like he's seeing one of the old women from it yeah. follows yeah. chasing you down the street. Mm-hmm. I, poor her. Well, speaking of which, did you hear about that? Oh, no. It's happening. They follow. Oh, come on. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Original director and Micah Monroe's coming back. When? Next year, probably. Oh, Jesse. Yeah. Hallelujah. Uh, finally, right? For real? Yeah, for real. From That's ne- sweet. From Neon. Right? Weird. Oh, Neon. Yeah. We're doing that. For sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I know. We've been talking about that one for years. Yeah, it's actually yeah, officially announced. Yeah. When when was that announced? Last week, maybe? God, what a great day. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that, I'm very happy about yeah. that. Yeah, they follow. Yeah, it sounds Ooh, pretty they. Yeah, they. Yeah, it should be pretty good. I can't wait. Yeah. Ooh, sweet. Yeah. I'm sure we won't cover it. No. <laughs> but you're right. Matthew Vaughn, I think, has figured out this mystique character and decided to use her. You're right. Three very different ways to kind of show oppression, neglect, society's influence in three unique ways. So if that was her decision, like I need to decide which side of camp I'm on, hashtag Team Magneto, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's the one that like talks to her like a real person, doesn't look down at her. I think be yourself. (laughs) Shoots her down for the most noble of reasons. Yeah. I like you to just be you, but you're just still a little too young and that's kind of creepy. So mm-hmm. since I'm not a petter ass, just in a couple of years, maybe if this is still a thing, Yeah. but as you, you mm-hmm. blue, you blue, you. <laughs> yeah, blue, you. Yeah. I think it's pretty well done. Handled yeah. really well by Matthew Vaughn and the cast and cast and crew. So now, okay. So we got blue beast. He's beast out. What do you think of these uh, costumes here? They Okay. Are they serviceable? Yeah, they're serviceable. Is it better than black leather? It is. Okay. The whole team concept in matching kind of semi-leather. Eh, well, you can't put them in blue jeans. So, yeah. And, and that's been something that was talked a lot about the X-Men is what do we put them in? Because they have uniforms. Yeah. And yeah. it's really, sometimes those uniforms play out sort of silly on screen. This so might come up a little bit for me later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does it look like flight gear to you a little bit? A little bit, yeah. I'm kind it's of a that. little, yeah, paramilitary. Yeah, there you go, perfect. It, it, I, I'm in the camp of, it's okay. It, okay, it's okay. <laughs> it's serviceable for this end scene because Cuban Missile Crisis, here we go. I don't know if this is how it really played out, but you got Michael Ironside on one side. Of course you do. And the villain from Home Alone 3, uh, the Russians on the other side, mm-hmm. and they're waiting for some shoe to drop. World War Three, and here we go. Here comes Sebastian uh, Shaw in his sub, and we get maybe the scene of scenes from the film, which is Magneto. Well, but first, Banshee gets his moment. He mm-hmm. gets to go down in the water, sonar, 
oh, there's the sub. And then Magneto lifts this thing right out of the water. Oh, uh, it's pretty badass. Yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And every the, the Americans and the Russians are just like, what is even happening here? What is going sub on? Sub is floating in the air. What is happening? Hi, comrade. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And then so we crash on the beach. Sub crashes on the beach. The X-Jet uh, crashes on the beach. Blackbird. Yep. And here we go. It's, it, it's, it's time to roll. And Sebastian Shaw has been harnessing the power of the nuclear reactor. Mm-hmm. What's his end game? Is he just going to essentially ignite into mm-hmm. a nuke? Yeah. Yikes, dude. Yeah. dude. All of this is somehow Oppenheimer's fault. <laughs> some, some, <laughs> yeah. Somehow his fault. He's got a doing in here. But, yeah, we get a fantastic scene here where... Eric goes into the subs reactor and finally gets to confront his Franken Victor Frankenstein, right? Mm-hmm. And be like, you made me this, this, and that. And I have the have the audio from it. Oh, I need to play the the I need to play the chess scene audio first. Okay. Uh, and then I'll play that one. You've known all along why I was here, Charles. But things have changed. What started as a covert mission. Tomorrow, mankind will know that mutants exist. Sure, us, they won't differentiate. They'll fear us. And that fear will turn to hatred. Not if we stop a war. Not if we can prevent, sure. Not if we risk our lives doing so. But they do the same for us. We have it in us to be the better men. We already are. We're the next stage of human evolution. You said it yourself. Are you really so naive as to think that they won't battle their own extinction? Or is it arrogance? I'm sorry? After tomorrow, they're going to turn on us. But you're blind, Ted, because you believe they're all like Moira. And you believe they're all like Shaw. Listen to me very carefully, my friend. Killing Shaw will not bring you peace. Peace was never an option. And the dueling narratives on that, that is excellent writing because they're both right mm-hmm. and this volley back and forth between my point counterpoint my point it's a counterpoint, chess game and they're both equally yeah. right and here's what's so good about that writing mm-hmm. each one of those stakes is elevated that is master class in how to show dialogue on screen where every line matters i love to that, that I love, yeah good job matthew vaughn yeah i love when he says you think they're all like moira mctaggart these Pencil pusher, do-gooders. That's not how the government operates. Magneto's right. And then... You think they're all like Shaw. And he's like, yeah, evil. Hell-bent on destruction. Which is also not true, right? Right. Not all the mutants are have that same train of thought. Light side, dark side. My side's right. Your side's wrong. I only see it this way. I only see it black, white. There's no gray. Mm-hmm. They're both wrong. Yeah. And they're both right, though. The, he, <laughs> both wrong both and right. Both wrong and right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's essentially just, you know, what's going to end up clashing here in the, in the finale. So you have this great sequence where Eric goes into the reactor room. Uh, Charles is able, able to stop uh, Shaw once they pull the helmet off, which is essentially the Magneto helmet, right? It is. And we get this, another fantastic scene here. I love the way it's shot here. Uh, I'll do my best to describe it as it's happening. But, you know, he's got to, it's time for Magneto to get his revenge, right? Mm -hmm. If this was, if the whole story of this was A, the creation of the X-Men, but B, the rise of Magneto, this is the scene where it happens, right? If you're in there, I'd like you to know that I agree with every word you said. 
We are the future. But... Unfortunately, you killed my mother. This is what we're going to do. No. Please, Alec, no. I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to move the coin. One. Please, Eric. Essentially, Magneto uses this peach of Nazi garbage, this coin that was move this coin or I won't kill your mother. Puts it right through his forehead, but because Charles is essentially synced up with Shaw, is A trying to have his friend don't kill this guy because you're going to go down a real dark path here in a second, but also feeling the pain of it and it's shown synchronicity together? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Ben is watching Anakin become Darth. Yeah. And there's not a damn thing he can do about it. Like you said, though, to do it in the same profiled manner. Mm-hmm. You can feel the coin going through Xavier, too. It's not It's not the coin that's going through Xavier. It's the realization, like, I've just lost my best friend to the most terrible outcome yeah. I could have imagined. You don't give a shit about Shaw. I don't even know if Xavier really does, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, either. But he does insofar as he can't let Magneto or go that way because then it's there's no coming back. Yeah, it's, it's so well done. There's a part of me, too, that thinks he's he's feeling it, too. Okay, sure. The coin go through the cerebellum, right? Which is horrific. So, yeah, I think it's a cry of pain and then anguish. And then... The coin I, looks great, too, doesn't it? Yeah. Out the back end. Yeah. And then you have this great scene where this almighty powerful Sebastian Shaw, we've seen him harness weapons and turn and just decimate everybody... Essentially, Jesus-like coming out of the sub here, arms outstretched, dead, Magneto just pulling him out, and you realize, holy shit, this guy's more powerful than any of us here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where he says, he's like, he's like, the real enemy's out there, it's the people, it's the government, it's it's not us, we're, we're, we shouldn't be fighting each other, that's the real enemy. And then this is the moment when they shoot all the rockets at the mutants, right? Yep. He's been right all along. This is what they're going to do once they figure out about us. Mm-hmm. And he catches all of them. I can't believe it. It's, it's, it's so cool. He catches all these ICBMs and ballistic missiles. And the line he delivers to Charles is like, I've been at the men uh, just following orders. Never again. He's going to annihilate both armies here, maybe essentially starting World War Three mm-hmm. as well, right? And then we, and I don't think this is comic canon. I think this is Matthew Vaughn first class canon. A fantastic moment is about to take place here where Moira McTaggart starts coming in and trying to shoot Magneto from doing this. And he starts reflecting bullets back and forth, but then like ricochets one right into. 
Charles Xavier's L5. L5. Yeah. Waist down. Brutal. I remember where I was sitting there seeing... I've always been curious about Xavier's, you know, paralysis. And the cartoon goes into a little bit of that as well. Mm -hmm. Really well, by the way. I don't think it was ever at the hands of Magneto, though. No. It's pretty fantastic storytelling to have these once friends. I'm going to be the one that puts you in this precarious situation. What do you? What did you think of that when you first saw it? That it's Moira shooting at him, and his deflection off the helmet into Charles is also even all the more loaded. If Moira is the champion of all things mutant, mm-hmm. and she is not trying to shoot him in the arm or the leg, gunning for his head, mm-hmm. and the protection of his head from Moira's violence leads to the demise of his friend, if there was an inkling of bringing Eric back from the anti-human side, mm-hmm. it's gone. Yeah. Now his best friend is laying paralyzed from the waist down in his arms. He's in full-throated trauma, and he pulls out this fucking mangled bullet, yeah. bullet that is similar to the filling he pulls out of that guy's... Um, at the French banker. At the French banker. <laughs> I don't know. So, you, you know, you've watched your mother go the way of, you know, the dead through the Nazis. You've had these terrible, terrible ideas about what mankind is. And the most pro-mutant human that you is now just took, that you know, just took out your best friend. And it's kind of your fault. Mm-hmm. Eric's gone, man. And what's even, like, the all that is great. What sells it the most for me is that he's holding him mm-hmm. in his arms. And as Charles is looking up, it's almost like Charles is looking up like, Eric, it's okay, let it go, let it go. You have to get past this. It's not like I'm in pain or my gosh, I can't feel my legs. It's almost like, don't pity me. I'm, merc- I'm trying to give you grace and mercy. Please take it. Yeah. It's okay. Mm-hmm. How do you walk around holding that burden? Well, Charles gives it right back to him because he tries to choke out Moira with her dog tags. Uh, and she says, she, he's like, you did this. And he says, it wasn't her. He's like, you, you did this. And oh. I think it's that realization of, yeah, is that right though? I mean, is it right? Is it his fault that it bounced off his helmet? Well, no, but it's his act. It's Damn. his actions of what he just did in the last three minutes. Yeah. It's kind of his fault of, you know, if I didn't bring Shaw out on this freaking pyre mm, would be here. and assume the mantle of Supreme villain, uh, I wouldn't have paralyzed you. So in a way, it is his fault. But the missiles go into the ocean. Humanity is saved for the moment. The mutants are the enemy. And Magneto poaches off whoever wants to come with him to form the Brotherhood. And then Mystique. they... Yeah, and they, and, they, and they scamper off. So we're left with Havoc, Banshee, and, uh, and, and Beast. Not a great team that Xavier gets to start with. Yeah. And that, that line, and it killed me in the theater when I first saw it, and it killed me again when I, uh, for this rewatch when he's just like, my legs, I can't feel my legs. And if the origin of Charles Xavier, as we know him, right, yep. in the wheelchair, yep. it's pretty heartbreaking that they, it came to all this, friends to enemies. But that's what makes the X-Men so good. <laughs> that's what it makes is. this ending so good. Mm-hmm. I think Matthew Vaughn slayed this finale on the beach. Mm-hmm. How do you have a final confrontation where... We're not fighting the military and on the ships and whatnot. We're fighting each other, but we're fighting each other's ideals and what we stand for. Yeah, it's a, he completely understands the material and delivers it in a way that's really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. He gets it. Matthew Vaughn gets it. Yeah. 
So we wrap up on the beach here and we go back to the States and we have Charles Xavier in the wheelchair conversation with Moira McTaggart. And, you know, normally I I hate stuff like this, but I kind of like how Rose Byrne spins it of like, you know, we're we're G-men without the G. You're like, yeah, you're X-men. And it's just like, I kind of like how natural it feels coming from her, like creating the team, the name, Professor X. I think she tells him as well. It all works really well for me, but then I didn't know about this Charles Xavier power. He has the power of Superman where he could just kiss wiper memory, right? Yeah, where'd that come from? I have no idea, but uh, we get this fantastic scene here. I'm going to play the audio for it here where the government brass are trying to you know, interrogate her. Like, what the hell happened? You can't remember anything? Cuba Missile Crisis? What is even going on? Who's the enemy? Who's the real enemy? And then you hear this scuttle in the background and, you know, it's Magneta coming after Emma Frost. And you get this. This is the scene of scenes from the film, ladies and gentlemen. I know we've had our differences. Where's your telepath friend? Gone. Left a bit of a gap in my life, if I'm to be honest. I was rather hoping you would fill it. Join us. Eric, I believe. I prefer Magneto. And oh my God, does he look cool, right? The helmet is like comic accurate, his like costume. Again, if this was in the MCU and you just watched the origin of Magneto and now he's like this supreme, unstoppable villain, would be pretty cool, right? Yeah. What do you think of that? What do you think of the, the ending of the film here? You love it. And what a huge addition to his team. Oh, Emma Frost? Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Mm-hmm. If I'm laying odds, it's six to one in favor of the Brotherhood versus the X-Men at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, he looks great. The red is spot on shade perfect the little purple kind of swooshy symbol in the front uh, by his forehead is is right there mm-hmm. um i actually kind of buy what it would look like and so far as trying to find those clothes in the real world yeah he looks amazing mm-hmm. and that line just is a slayer i prefer magneto like can you imagine like writing the screenplay matthew vaughn here magneto i prefer dot 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 yeah. magneto, magneto period Fade out. Fade oh out. my God. Like that's drop. final. That's a great final line. And then you get this great end credit sequence, which is like a little, it's like sixties X-Men James Bond with Saul Bass in mind. Mm-hmm. Fantastic end credit. Sequence. And there's, there's no stinger extra scene at the end. Like that's the capper at the end of it. And you're yeah. like, I want to see more of this. That was me leaving the theater in 11. Yeah. <laughs> Which, which was, I love this new cast. I, I really like what they brought. I want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. And I got more of it, and I really liked it. So You did. Uh, anything to add to the X-Men, X-Men First Class, the lineup story, anything we missed? As far as I can tell, I think we've covered it pretty well. Excellent. And a bunch of other stuff this week, too. And a bunch of other, other baggage as well. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, so what's your uh, favorite tasting note, moment, scene, sequence of X-Men First Class? I really do like the scene, and we didn't talk about it at all, where Xavier and Eric capture Emma 
at the, so, the with Soviet that base. Russian silo with the general. <laughs> I love that he thinks he's making out with her, and it's just her mind as he's feeling some image of her mind. Because what happens in that is her diamond form that she's impenetrable yeah. in gets cracked around the neck. Eric pulls the reins back, but watching her kind of be bound because she's kind of been an instrument of bondage in full way. Mm -hmm. I think that seems really, really powerful and speaks a lot about what the character Emma Frost was to this series. It's a pretty cool scene. I like it. <clears throat> Eric going into the Soviet base is cool enough where he's just like barbed wire wrapping these guys up. He's like pulling guns away. He He's a one-man army. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to go Eric raising the sub from the ocean. It's such a cool heroic, heroic moment, uh, which turns into villainy real quick, but it's, it's a staple in the X-Men series of man. Magneto can just lift just crazy amounts of weight. I'll never forget, you know, Shane, you know, Shane yeah. in San Francisco. And he was like by the golden gate bridge. And he was like looking at the golden gate bridge and then looked at Alcatraz and like kind of did like a double take. And he was like, Ooh, yeah, right. But, like, Magneto was just, like, pulled... What he was thinking about was Magneto lifting that bridge to bridge San Francisco to Alcatraz. Yeah. And he was just like, yeah, I don't buy it, but the movie makes me buy it, right? Mm -hmm. This power to lift metal and just form anything. I can lift a nuclear sub out of the Caribbean mm. onto this beach. It's That's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's a really great moment. I even like, too, it's kind of a weird detail, but they start going in free fall, and they start tumbling, and... Eric kind of like sticks himself to the metal like Spider-Man and to protect Xavier mm -hmm. so they don't get hurt. Tumble it, yeah. Kind of cool. Mm -hmm. uh, excellent, excellent. Well, what is the... Oh, my God! Moment of X-Men First Class. Oh, boy. Um... I can go first while you're thinking. It's easy. It's... L5 paralysis for, for sure for me. Like I, I never anticipated that the film was going to go there, but the fact that, you know, the best friend essentially paralyzed his other friend. I thought that was a fantastic way to go about that origin story. I might give you Darwin. The problem with Darwin is I, he doesn't matter. What caught me again this time is watching Rose Byrne strip down to her underwear to join that that cult of, of that cabal of sex workers and thinking about how they sold Rose Byrne on that idea. I think she goes in a place that Rose Byrne is not often known to go. Mm -hmm. And um, that seems really kind of towing the line of acceptable for what the normal Marvel fan would go and see. Mm -hmm. But then you realize this isn't a normal Marvel movie. Yeah. So I'm going to go with that, I Good think. Good choice. Good choice. Who's the master distiller on X-Men First Class? Man. Is it Fastbender? For me, it is. Probably is for me, too. Well, yeah. if you're going to do that, then I'll go somewhere else. I might go with... Um, I'll go with McAvoy. Uh, by the time we get the last run of Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier and Logan, I found him hateable in that movie. Mm -hmm. They needed an infusion of some new blood for both of these characters. But you characters. know what's interesting about Stuart in that film is that's like old man grandpa Xavier. I kind of get it. Like he's yeah. supposed to be annoying and like 
almost like whiny a, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, you bring them to a younger state and you see a path forward where there's a little bit more runways and some more story to tell. So he's up, fantastic up. in the next film. He, yeah. He yes. Is. Mm-hmm. James McAvoy's really underappreciated. He's really mm-hmm. getting wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wanted atomic blonde. Yep. Split. Yep. The saving grace of glass. Dare I say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Great choice. I, I have to go Fastbender. It's just, it, it was the moment that solidified, you're on my radar. I like you. Let me see what else you do. And then the next year it was Prometheus and then 12 Years a Slave. And I was like, this guy's got some acting chops. Mm-hmm. And then that movie, Shame. Have you ever seen Shame? Yeah, I have. It's not that sex thriller. Dude, he goes full frontal in Shame. Yeah. I'm like, God, yeah. fast member. I mean, yeah. just, he became just like someone. I was like, I need to pay attention to this guy because- he knows how to act mm-hmm. and it wasn't. And then it was like, Oh, and glorious bastard. Oh, you were in 300 yeah. and he's in, in another really good indie horror film called Eden Lake that came out, I think in 08 hard, hard to watch movie. It is so brutal, but he is fantastic in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite working actors today, I haven't watched uh, the killer yet. Uh, David Fincher's new one on Netflix, but anytime Fastbender shows up, I'm there to watch, yeah. but this is, he was born to play Magneto. It's a amazing performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you going to rate and grade X-Men First Class? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Tippy Top Shelf. Single Barrel for me. Uh, it's an origin story. It's a prequel. So that does kind of limit the story that you can tell. Mm-hmm. And I think this delivered in a fresh and unique way with an introduction of new characters that, you know, you hope will be played out to some fruition later on the in the screen and on the series. I think single barrel for me. I would have told you that prior to this viewing, it would have been top shelf without any question. But um, well, what was it? What was it? A little bit of exhaustion, and I think the scene on the beach after we've wiped out Sebastian Shaw is about eight minutes too long. Mm. There's this this movie needs about an. It's like two thirteen. This movie is under two, two maybe two at max. The, the the one knock I had, I was like, some of the like the VFX in it of like, they don't look amazing, right? Yeah. So some of them have aged a little poorly, but single barrel for me as well. I think this is a hell of a prequel origin story. I love first class. I love what comes next, which is going to be interesting considering my nightcap <laughs> is going to be. Uh, but I think this is a great rewatch. It it showed me onto a, a wide array of talent: Rose Byrne, Fassbender, McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas Holt. Like I didn't know who any of these people were prior to seeing this film, yeah. and I I really know them now. And and the work that they did, Insidious, uh, Silver Linings Playbook, Renfield, mm-hmm. <laughs> just uh, these people are really talented. But it, rewatching it now, you know, I had some of that baggage of like some of this plays pretty well still. It's pretty good, but it gave me a, a really good appreciation for the X-Men as a franchise, as a character. Yeah. And why I really like them is they're very complicated. They're hard to do. They're, they got a lot of issues. And I think Matthew Vaughn did a really good job of showing that on screen. Yeah. Uh, maybe the best director to handle an X property. Eh, we'll see. But, uh, I'm glad we decided to talk about this film. If this was our gateway into the X-Men, do you, you, I think you also got me into, uh, a bit of an X renaissance. I'm going to watch a couple of these other movies mm-hmm. now in November because I'm kind of like in an X mood right now. That's funny you said that because I we I watched I finished this this morning and before the show mm-hmm. and I wanted to fire up Days of Future Past tonight. 
I think I might I might do the same thing I don't too. think that's on I mean I'll probably watch the Islanders lose and then um <laughs> fire fire up that film I kind of want to go watch it first class I might throw on the last stand it's been a hot minute since I've watched Logan like I might get into a little X mood here yeah. uh, for the next month so yeah I think this was maybe you know we put the cast together but this was uh I think a suggestion from you so thank you oh you're welcome talk two plus hours about the x-men could you believe it you made my week with they follow man i'm my mind is spinning oh, since yeah. you told me i can't wait that's gonna be fantastic yes right uh well, let's wrap this up with our nightcap all right Who is that? Henry Jackman? No idea. He did the score for Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Civil War. So he's been around the genre a little bit. But hey, if I was like a DJ, if that was my uh, profession, I'm finding a way to spin that theme into some sort of like club jam. Like, Mm -hmm. can you imagine people going, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be awesome. Nine Inch Nails meets that. There you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, Magneto has a fantastic theme. That's that's the finale from the end, end of the movie there, but... Why don't you hit us with the nightcap this week? I love this question, by the way. Yeah, there's a lot to choose from here. So you gave me the idea with this, with your question about who were my three favorite X-Men characters. So I thought I'd just stick to film only. Okay. And what I want to address is the three biggest failures or misses in any X-Film moment. This can be casting. Cool. This can be story. This can be whatever. Okay. Three, three, uh, two, two, one, one. I have a very distinct honorable mention so I'll save that for the end. Okay. Number three for me is bringing Brian Singer back into the fold after mm-hmm. his first tenure. So yeah. if Singer's tenure was one and two, and then he bailed ship to go do Superman Returns, which that's a whole nother conversation for when we do Batman Begins, because how is it not Batman Begins, new Superman? Why is Superman Returns, which I will defend as a pretty good movie, uh, a sequel to Superman 2, of all things. Why is it a legacy sequel when it should be a new thing, right? Start, yeah. That's one issue with, with, with the film. But then they do First Class. It's a success. And then we jokingly said, oh, I want back in, which it, that might have been the way it happened because then he does Future Past and Apocalypse. I think Matthew Vaughn had a good thing going here with First Class. It might have been a mistake to not bring him back to do Days of Future Past because it does get a little more dreary. I still like that movie, but it's not because of Brian Singer. It's because I, I like seeing these characters that I grew up with mm-hmm. in the early aughts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was a bit of a mistake, bringing this guy that subtly understands the X-Men to someone that clearly understands the X-Men. That's great. Okay, this might be a little controversial. On top of his atrocities. Yeah, there's a, yeah. <laughs> I think Logan is widely accepted as one of the winners in the X-Men franchises. It is for me. I know it is. Yeah. Three for me on this is letting Logan fight Logan. <laughs> Logan fight himself? Yeah, that's weak, man. <laughs> Graphic novel aside, it's film, it's not the novel. I think that's weak. You couldn't come up with anything else 
that to me was really, really off-putting and to a certain degree stole that film from me. Who would you have in place in Logan? There's, I mean, you don't want to exhaust Sabretooth, but there were a lot of other characters that they've missed on along the way that won't make the list. The Silver Samurai comes to mind. Omega Red comes to well, mind. Well, he's, he's in the Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have to do something that finished him off. Um, Lady Deathstrike, I think, is done away with in a really quick, haphazard manner. In two? Yeah. In two, yeah. There's lots of weapon. Hey, rumor. Mm-hmm. She's showing up in Deadpool 3. <laughs> is it right? Is same character? Same actress character. Okay. I think she's cool. I think there's a lot riding on that. Anyway, go ahead and finish. Yeah. Um, there's a large number of choices. Wolverine, for all of the great villains that the X-Men had, Wolverine doesn't have the same pantheon. He's got a few here and there. But um, Do you like how that film ends? Y- yes-ish. Yes, no. I think we need to do Logan on the podcast. Yeah, we might. I think we need to get to the we might. the 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 middle of all of this. Yeah, we might. I, that would be a good episode. Yeah. James Mangold, who his last efforts that we saw, Indiana Jones and the Dial, Dial of, of Destiny. Destiny. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> uh number 2, uh number 2 for me, uh <clears throat> man. And this might be coming up for you too, so I won't go into the weeds with it too much. Man, fumbling the Phoenix saga, not once, but twice. <laughs> yeah. It's so important to the the construct of the X-Men that like it's kind of okay in The Last Stand, but in The Last Stand, you're doing the Phoenix saga. That's huge. But you're also doing The Cure. Also huge, right? Those yep. are two separate movies. Yep. And then Dark Phoenix with this new sequel cast is a... It's the worst of all these movies, people. It's hands down the worst of everything that they've ever done with the X label. Uh, I don't know why they can't figure out that story. And it's frustrating to me, the comic fan, because the infinite possibilities they can take that to is amazing. Honestly, the the thing that's done it best was the animated series in the early 90s, right? Yep. Well, that's my number two. Um, Yeah, I don't want to weigh in too much on that Mm. yet. So there it is. But number two for me actually ties into the answer that I had for the flight. And it's the way that Nightcrawler was introduced and used and who was cast to play it in X3. Two. Two. I I think that's a solid film. With Proteus is a cool line. He is a total failure, an abject disaster or miss. What's that guy's name? Alan. um, Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming, yeah. You know, he's got some ties to musical stuff and Broadway. You couldn't have cast. And I don't even have anything against Alan Cumming. Mm. Nightcrawler is small and agile and dying to be Jake Gyllenhaal. That guy, every time he got on there with a character that is beloved by me, just left me rolling my eyes thinking like, why did you choose to do this? Mm -hmm. And then the markings on his body are scars of self-debauchery and... Did you like the Nightcrawler that they did in Apocalypse? Cody Smith McPhee. Was that one a little bit better for you? Better. Teen Nightcrawler. I don't think that's that hard to miss. He looks cool if you put him in his red and black suit with his blue skin. Yeah. He's really easy to sell on screen. What has to happen, though, is the CGI's got to be good because it's hard to make him look like what I think he should look like. But he's got to be light, agile, and... Far, far, far. Because if you're not careful with Nightcrawler, you get into the labint of mankind and human conditions. See 
the entire season three of The Walking Dead puke. And I feel like that's where Alan Cumming takes this, and I hate it. Although his powers are cool, and that White House scene is mostly pretty cool, all of the other things that he does suck. I think he's terrible at it. It was the worst casting decision oh, they've made in the entire X Interesting. I, I kind of... I'm I'm okay with him, but then I don't I don't I'm not coming in with the the nightcrawler baggage that you are. Like he's a pretty okay character for me, but like I like you know what you know where I really like Alan Cumming is his uh, turn as Boris Krishenko and Goldeneye. Mm. I am invincible from mm. Frozen. God, I haven't seen that movie in so long. Dude, when are we doing another Bond cast? That's what I need to ask you. Soon, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe. Uh, number one. Yep. As much of a miss as the Phoenix saga is, I can't believe they wasted and then didn't build into this a little bit more. And that's Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse. That kind of felt like a bad weekend for the X-Men, much like the bad weekend of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Fantastic casting. I love Oscar Isaac. I think he's a great actor. As do I. That character is hugely important to the X-Verse. Oh, yeah. The original mutant. Yeah. And I felt like they just didn't do enough with it for a villain that's essentially the Thanos of the X-Men, right? right? Yeah. So that's my biggest miss. I feel like that could have been a couple movies with Apocalypse. And you know what? The animated series, which I love, kind of bungled Apocalypse as well, and the films. And that's kind of a shame because I, that's a huge villain. That's that's something you could build 20 films around. Well, especially when you said Thanos because his four horsemen of the Apocalypse are the Black Order. Yeah, and he looks like Thanos. <laughs> and you're getting Rogue involved and Angel involved and a bunch of X-Men that he turns. Who came first? Do you know? Thanos or Abin Sur? Yeah. I think, I think Apocalypse did. I'm going to look it up right now. That's a good question. Yeah. While you looked it up, I'll tell you my number one, and you just said it. It's the Dark Phoenix saga. After the death of Gwen Stacy, that's my second favorite Marvel story. And that movie blows, and the way they used her blows. And which one? Um, we see her flaming image at the end of two, and then into three. Um, so, well, they they both blow, but the original time we saw the Dark Phoenix is is just so poorly done. That's all right. Not- Remember this, June nineteen eighty six. Huh? Okay, go ahead. She uh, is so fantastic and. If you build up the Scott Summer stuff as Cyclops with her, it plays really, really well, and none of it mattered in the film because that was just such a... Thanos was first. February 1973, Invin- Invincible Iron Man, nineteen uh, number 55. How about that? Okay. They're essentially the same character. They are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yes. yeah, the Phoenix thing is big for you. I, I know you love Jean Grey. I, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. like all the stuff with Scott and her and that. And it takes place in space, ladies and gentlemen. How they haven't figured out how to do that story justice. That's another 10 films right there, right? Yeah, the, the Hellfire Club is really cool. And the, the manipulation of the powers to sort of call the Phoenix to Earth and why it chose Jean and how Xavier is just basically rendered helpless. That's so good. Watching Scott hold her in his arms as his optic beams goes skyward in sheer tragic death of his girlfriend. Oh, it's it's not the movie. Uh, that's a wrap on X-Men First Class from 2011. Good list. I think so. Good list. Good episode. Yeah. Fun talking about the X characters. Uh, but this is the cask of prequels. We talking about the Star Wars prequels? Not yet. I have a I have a deeper plan for that later in the in the future. But we're 
gonna venture to that universe here. Do you want to set up the next film in our in our cast here? No, I'll give it to you. You can run with this one. All right. So you know, talking about prequels and it's the story told before the main story. Hey, man, we're gonna talk about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Back when you know Disney was still in good graces with the Star Wars label, they were spun us a, a little tale, a heist film of sorts. Mm-hmm. With the stealing of the Death Star plans that lead into Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, I can't wait to talk about this movie because I remember liking it on initial viewing in the theater in 2016. Mm-hmm. The only time I've ever seen that movie. One time for me too. Yeah. So I think this will be good for us to go back to it, see what we like about it. Well, maybe, man, we might be carrying some Disney Plus baggage with us on this one too, but. Uh, let's see if this one still plays well for us, too. And, uh, and I think an important story in the Star Wars saga. For sure. Hey, you and I remember that Vader scene, right? Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. It was. So, yeah, I can't I can't wait to talk about this one. This this will be a fun rewatch for me. Would seem to be that we're two solid entries into the prequel, so we'll see what happens. I think this, I, I don't think this is going to go from liking it to, oh, my gosh, turn it off. This is terrible. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I'm in a bit of a Star Wars... Sp- I'm in a couple things right now. Uh, I'm in a Bond space right now. Dude, I've been burning a couple Bond films. Dude, I'm in a good Bond space. Dude, Roger Moore, I watched For Your Eyes Only on Live and Let Die. Dude, I'm I'm in a good, healthy Bond. And November has always been Bond month for me. Mm. I don't know if you remember this, but like TBS, the Superstation. Yeah. Every November used to do the 15 or 13 days at 007. Oh. And it was just a Bond movie, like three Bond movies every night. Nice. That's how I got acquainted with the character. Hmm. So like that, like something around Thanksgiving reminds me of Bond. That and Godzilla for some reason. Hmm. But then I rewatched Return of the Jedi yesterday. So I'm in a, like a weird Star Wars space too. Uh, too. Uh, so Rogue One's gonna be. It's gonna be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna try and burn Andor before before this uh, episode uh, as well. Mm. So uh, yeah, we'll have, we'll have a lot to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, to that, to the X-Men. To the X-Men. To you and to, to Star you. Wars next week. Hey, I got to get going. Hey, I got I got to go get this like blue hair looked at on my <laughs> forearm here. I don't know. Do you think this is hereditary? Is it contagious? Is it a mutagen? Is it, am I, am I a children of the atom? I, to be honest with you, I haven't really looked. I've been so repulsed by your blue form since I walked in in this nakedness. I haven't been able to even look across the desk at you. So I, I, I guess I'll venture forth to that territory sooner or later. Excellent. Well, to that, we'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We will see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or if you listen to podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. X-Men First Class is property of 20th Century Fox, Marvel Entertainment, The Donners Company, Dune Entertainment, and Ingenious Film Partners. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, Cheers. Excuse me, I'm Eric Lynch. Sounds Xavier. Go fuck yourself.